0: i Spaces And welcome to the ether today's tuesday april 19th 2022 at luart.io this episode of ether is also brought to you by intern capital everyone knows interns make the world go round so when it comes to picking out your interns make sure you choose the best the best you say that's right the best and everyone knows all the best interns come from intern capital be sure to follow intern capital on twitter and go mint yourself an intern over on one planet there's still time links are in the show notes for more information check out intern.capital and be sure to follow intern capital on twitter for daily shit posts and stock tips Wow! TerraSpaces appreciates the support from all our sponsors. Today on the Ether, the Fan Fury update in AMA hosted by Orbital Command. Let's take a listen.
1: Hi guys, it looks like this is Rebel DeFi here. Looks like we've got Adrian there. If you could bring him up, please. Active, he is Nimrod. Should be coming up right now. Awesome. So, yeah, just give people another minute to see if they drop in we've hit seven well seven o'clock UK time so this was our official start time we've got Finn I gave my last minute request to record I always forget sorry sir but he is here so we are definitely being recorded so there will be ample opportunity to listen on catch up now Adrian had a brilliant idea hopefully he's coming up here but his idea was that we should maybe treat yeah, this... Yeah. Oh, hi there. Do you, do you want to share your brilliant idea about how this is going to work?
2: No, no, no. Uh, go ahead. I, I'll go I'll, in. I'll
1: I thought it was really cool. So seeing as we're um, going to be talking about fantasy sports, Adrian suggested, why don't we treat this AMA as a game of two halves? So to begin with, we'll kick off and talk about the sort of fantasy sports aspect of Fan Fury. And then maybe have a little break. I mean, I'll probably stay on. I'm sure Edwin on the Orbital Command will stay on. We'll be here and we can maybe just have a little break and then come back after maybe 10 minutes or so with the second half, which is going to focus more on DeFi aspects and maybe tokenomics of the Fan Fury project. So hopefully that sounds do we have, exciting.
3: Do we have special guests. For the halftime show?
1: Well, if we had video or something, maybe we could have um, Finn turn doing a special dance for us or something. <laughs> or maybe maybe he could even sing us a song. That, that'd be cool. You know, so we don't
2: need Snoop Dogg. Right? We've, got, we've got Finn. <laughs> That's right. So, who knows, uh, maybe on an upcoming podcast, we can probably talk about having uh, some of our podcast partners on with us as well.
1: One hundred percent. Well, I mean, considering all the sponsors you've now got, sorry, the people you're sponsoring, we could have some real famous people coming on at halftime to to tell us a few things. Absolutely. We're looking forward to having a lot more of that um, going forward. Well, seeing as we're just past the hour mark, why don't we kick things off? Another little sporting analogy. I've, I've intentionally not been reading about Fan Fury over the last week or so. Um, because I was hoping we were going to do another space like this. So I'm going to be sort of asking noob-type questions because at the moment I am feeling like a bit of a noob, and then hopefully Adrian will be able to break it all down for us to bring new people in, not just for the people that are really sort of well-versed on the project, who are probably in Discord anyway. So to begin with,
2: um, I was just going to ask, what stage are we at? When, When launch, sir? Launch has actually already happened, um, to be honest. Uh, We've uh Completed our testnet. Um, we're actually live with mainnet right now. Um, what we've started with is um, we've got a two part um, sort of process through which we're launching. Um, so we're still doing Prism Forge. Um, that's coming up um, in the next uh, week or so. But what we've started with is we've started with the auction of the actual fan clubs themselves. Um, so um, right now, that's essentially the way that we're looking at that as well. Uh, sort of this play of two halves. Um, The first half focusing on the auction of the fan clubs itself, um, where we're essentially um, pitching them to owners and and, and members, right? Um, So the way that we're looking at this is um, every fan club has an owner and every fan club has members that are part of that fan club itself. Um, So as an owner, um, you need to actually come in and claim the club and then, um, you know, prove to the community that uh, you're capable of being an owner. And and the way that you really speaking do this is unlike a traditional auction where, you know, you just have people coming in and putting in the largest amount of money. Um, We thought we'd, you know, spice things up and make sure that we get the community involved because ultimately that's what it's about. So um, in order for you to become an owner, um, the idea is that you need to use a referral system to bring in as many users as you can. So, rather than have um, you know the most amount raised, um, we focus on uh, the most number of people brought in. Um, so, the person that brings in the most number of people through his or her referral code um, essentially claims ownership of the club, and um, we're sort of we're, we're sort of having a slightly more, um, um, I would say, a longer. Period during which uh, we were running this entire auction, I think um, it all sort of came down to two things. One was the actual auction itself, um, and two was um, you know the idea that we're, we're essentially um, you know trying to teach people. Um, and I think that a lot of this is down to a lot of this session really is down to um, you know just that being able to ma- make sure the community understands um, you know what we're doing, get as many of their questions answered as possible because we know that there are quite a few. Um, so. That's half time. And then um, the second half will essentially be prism forge um, very, very much like uh, prism forge and kinetic money have done Um, slightly different from kinetic money in that um, we won't have three phases. It's one phase, um, four days of um, very similar deposits. And then the last day where you have um, sort of a a, a rule based uh, withdrawal and and deposit system um, culminating in, um, you know, price discovery and ultimately token distribution. But I think really where we're going to be different um, is that when the token actually releases, um, within, I would say, a couple of days, um, we're going to have gameplay as well. Um, And I think that really speaking, this is um, tremendous from the standpoint of the utility of the token itself. But um, I feel like I've already given you too much of an answer. So I'm going to stop there.
1: Not at all. I'm just actually having a look on the site at the moment talking about claiming a fan club. I I seem to remember from back with our first interview with you, which was about four months ago, I I just had it in my head that a club was going to cost about a thousand UST. Am I just making that up or is that something that... No, you're not. Uh, in
2: fact, that's 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 pretty good memory, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I think the more that we thought about it was, um, you know, it's, it's easy for people to come in and, and put in a thousand dollars. Right. I mean, um, but really speaking, I mean, what are you going to do for the fan club? Um, what are you going to do for the community? Um, you know, how are you going to essentially be the owner that, you know, um, the community needs? Um, and I think that that's where we sort of um, looked at our approach and um, rethought out. You know, what the approach should be in terms of becoming an owner and retaining that ownership. Because I think a lot of this is also down to the fact that because we're going to have a lore and, you know, a backstory to each of these clubs, these owners are really going to write themselves into the history of the game and the platform and the the fan club itself. So, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that the responsibility that's, um, you know, going into the ownership itself, um, you know, takes on some importance. And um, the importance should come from more than just being able to um, commit a certain amount of money to the fan club
1: absolutely so i'm just looking through this list of clubs and i, I went to your website via your twitter link it took me to app.fury.fan yep. and i'm seeing clubs from all sorts of different sports we've got football soccer got for people that, that don't um, <laughs> live in the uk do you do you call it football in india we call it you football. Do. You do, don't you? Yeah. The, the proper name. So you got yeah the sports that we talked about previously: basketball, football, American football, cricket, and what's the other one?
2: Baseball. Baseball. Right. We've also awesome. got. A few countries. I think that um, we're also going to have the NHL sometime very shortly as well. Um, and and this has been a commun- uh, you know community asked question um, on quite a few occasions. You know, are, are these fan clubs fixed? You know, do we get the opportunity to introduce new ones? Yes, of course. Um, you know, we are going to be looking at um, you know maybe increasing that at some point in the future. As of right now, um, what we've done is we've focused on these 250. But I think that the possibilities absolutely do exist, especially since um, you know a lot of these are governance. Um, you know. Really proposals that you know we want the doubt to focus on 100% and
1: certainly before I sort of carry on if anyone has questions for Adrian just raise your hand ask to come up and Edwin will bring you up here but one thing I'm noticing from this list of clubs I used to live in Japan actually and I'm seeing some Japanese baseball clubs yep seems like there's basketball clubs from Eastern Europe maybe Croatia or somewhere yeah yeah it does seem to be truly, and there's, I saw there's Australian clubs, very, yeah, very global. So what's, what's the sort of, sorry, carry on. No, go ahead, go ahead. Please. I was just going to ask, like, what's the engagement with this um, claiming a fan club been like?
2: Yes, yeah, so I think that like right now, um, the kind of engagement levels we're having is um, still early days, I would say. Um, we've had a few of the bigger clubs, let's let's say, you know, be claimed. but like you know, you very rightly pointed out, um, we've taken a truly gro- global approach to the fan clubs themselves. So uh, we've tried to be as, um, you know, wide in our search net um, to make sure that uh, I, I think that it's as decentralized as possible, right? Because like you can find fans for Man City anywhere in the world. But um, if I've got a local club there, um, the chances that I'm going to support my local club uh, versus Man City are probably higher, right? So I think that in terms of just the way that we've looked at these clubs themselves or uh, the fan clubs themselves um, has been to, to be as inclusive as possible. Um, having said that, uh, I think that, that the the idea is sort of taking shape in that uh, if you're looking at the way that uh, deposits are happening right now, it's sort of happening across the clubs, across sports and across leagues. And, and really speaking, that's been what we've wanted from the start. Um, so we're, we're having a relatively good response, I would say. Um, I, I think that, you're going to see a lot more uh, from Fan Fury when it comes to us really putting our names out there on the global map, um, both from, I think, uh, you know, just a fantasy sports standpoint, but also because of the partnerships I think that we're going to have um, coming up in the next few months. Wonderful. Right. So
1: before I carry on with my things, I want to find out. We've got Teague. Is that, is that how I've pronounced it? Have you got a question for Adrian? Yeah, that's correct. Thanks for hosting Rebel Defi and
4: uh, Fan Fury. Looking forward to see what you guys come up with. Um, a big fan. Uh, just a couple questions. Um, firstly, the when does the bidding end for the, the claim of the ownership of the teams?
2: Yeah, so um, the auction is going to go on until the 27th of April. So um, essentially, you've got a couple of days more, I would say, to um, uh, you know get on with the claim process. Um, the idea is that um, in order for you to claim a club, um, what you're going to have to do is come to the platform and um, just connect your wallet, either connect your wallet or, um, in our case, uh, you can also just use your socials. Um, just use Google or Twitter um, you know, to log in. And once you've logged in, uh, it's going to ask you uh, for a few very basic questions about your social information, simply because, obviously, you're talking to people who you know. Uh, you want them to maybe just look at your social information, and get an idea of you know what your uh, sort of social standing is. Um, once you've done that, you get your own sort of unique page um, that you can then use um, as this referral page with its own referral link to advertise yourself to um, you know your friends, your family, people who um, are, are sports fans around you, um, you know people who you play with. Um, when it comes to fantasy sports, the idea is to get as much support for your bid on the club as possible. Um, yeah. So. Um, it's a two-part process. One is the information collection. And the second is the payment that you need to make um, sort of in order for you to make sure that the claim is legit, right? So we've got a hundred dollar payment minimum for the owners um, and 50 is a minimum payment for a supporter. Um, And the idea here is that as an owner or a supporter, whatever you put in um, is eventually going to be, you know, used to uh, buy Fury in the public sale itself. Um, It's going into the forge contract essentially. So um, you're not only going to ensure that you get the token at a Fair price, um, but you're also going to ensure that whatever you put in right now um, is essentially going to reward you very, very shortly just in terms of the tokens themselves.
4: Okay. And regarding the, so when the 27th um, comes about and ends, uh, what happens to any of the unclaimed teams?
2: Yeah, so what what we're going to do is we're going to take them off the market for uh, approximately a month. um, And then um, the following month from the 23rd to the 30th, um the auction is going to open for those clubs as well um the idea here is that we feel that um there are going to be a few clubs that will remain unsold but within a month I think that a lot of new information is going to come out about um you know the clubs themselves there's going to be a lot more um, advertising there's going to be a lot more explainer videos that are coming out on these fan clubs themselves um I think that that's going to push not just um you know membership in the existing clubs but also ownership in the second sale okay uh
4: thank you for that and um, what happens if there's, um, for a team when it ends that there's, um, equal bidders basically in, in, you know, terms of supporters and UST amount, how, how does it, does it get split 50% ownership or like a sudden
2: death or how does that work? It comes down to who registered first.
5: Ah, okay.
4: All right. And then my last one is: um, Why haven't you added the the best uh, team in the, the football league, uh, Newcastle United?
6: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, well, um, I would say <laughs> give it a few months. Let's put in a let's put in a proposal, and uh, we'll see what we can do. All right, cool. Thank you for answering my
1: questions. No worries. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thanks for coming up, Teague. That exactly. I was just having a look through these football teams, and I can't see Scotland anywhere.
2: I think so <laughs> <laughs> so i'm i'm gonna say um that like we've tried to be as like I said inclusive as possible, but um, we've not closed the option off for people to um you know come in and, and add clubs at a later date. Um, what we want to do is like like you know the process of claiming um, the process of adding is going to be very similar as well, right? So um uh, you know in traditional governance proposals it's about getting the votes, and I think that here it's going to be very similar. Um, I think where you're going to find that it's going to be slightly different here is that it's not in everybody's interest to add a club, right? Because um, if you add a new club, then essentially what you're doing is you're bringing down, let's say, the total amount of rewards that are going to be distributed amongst the others. So it's about, I think, being able to convince the community that um, you know, the club you're going to add is going to add value. Um, and I, I would say bring in a lot of um, revenue um, that's going to, let's say, offset their losses when it comes to the reward system that's being paid out. Absolutely. So after the 27th, when this
1: um, club registration or club ownership finishes, are we then going to be able to like play fantasy sports yep. on the app.fury.fan? that's where it's going to take place
2: that's where it's going to take place um we are we have um uh, the uh, gameplay is going to be available on both uh, the web as well as on our mobile. Um, we are going to be coming out with, um, like I said, native applications on my last uh, podcast, and I'm going to continue with that as well here. Um, the native applications are going to take slightly longer, though, than we expected, but um, I think that because we've got, um, you know, web and mobile ready, um, I think that um, in terms of gameplay, yes, you will be able to have gameplay. Uh, it wouldn't be from day one, um, but we will say it will be within um, within a week of um, of DGE we would say. Wow. So just just so I've got that
1: clear in my head then, you've already sorted out an app that I, I've not even downloaded this on my phone. I could literally go on the App Store after this call not- and download.
2: No. no, not on the App Store yet. But um, if you hit the website, um, you should be able to play directly on the website. I think like the the experience that we're going for uh, to start with is is really speaking as easy as possible. We don't want people to, you know, have a, a, a clutter experience, you know, having another app on your phone. The idea here is that just um, you know, get the website. Um, once you're on the website, either your wallet or, you know, your social information and start playing.
1: 100% I love that a clutter experience that that is kind of what my phone is like at the moment so yeah I'm glad you're avoiding or helping yeah. me avoid that that, 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 that experience yeah. so epic so it's going to be on I mean I do most of the stuff on my computer anyway so I'm, I'm really excited about that
2: I will be able to do it on your system as well. I think, like, um, you know, one of the first things that we um, sort of focused on was the fact that we wanted to be as open as possible, both from, um, you know, an accessibility standpoint when it comes to, you know, location and when it comes to things like that. Um, But I think also from the standpoint of, um, you know, platforms and, um, you know, being able to use it across devices. It's it's really important, you know, going into the next few years that we are very, very cognizant of this. Certainly. So then... When after TGE, when
1: things are live, it's it's not just going to be football or soccer. It's going, you're going to have all five sports.
2: Is that- uh, n- not really. What we're going to do right. is we're going to focus on football and cricket right now. I think, um, and and a lot of this, um, you know, really speaking, comes down to the data, right? Um, because. Um, one of the one of the things that we focused on as a platform was uh, to ensure that all the data that that's coming into the you know smart contracts themselves um, is decentralized and validated, um, you know at least a few times. So uh, one thing we've noticed on most other platforms is that um, although the transactions are on chain, most other stuff doesn't happen on chain, and that really speaking includes data validation as well. Um, so a lot of platforms. Through these
3: white neighborhoods.
2: That was cool. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> it's <was> removed. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so um, I, I don't
1: know if it's I don't know if it's a white neighborhood.
2: Are are you white, Adrian? Not really, Brown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're, we're welcoming to one and all.
2: As are we. So, um, so yeah, like I was saying, um, yeah, threw me off my train of thought, but
1: <laughs> so yeah, we were talking about um, starting off with data being validated, and yeah. we're going to start with cricket and football.
2: Awesome, yeah, you're
1: talking about decentralized validation, I think.
2: Thanks, man. Um, yeah, so really speaking, when we were looking at um, you know, most other platforms, even on-chain, on, on um, decentralized platforms, not a lot of them are really looking at um, you know, decentralizing their sports data or validating their sports data. Um, so I think that just from that point of view, people in the traditional fantasy sports have seen this multiple times. Um, you know, um, if if you've played anywhere in India. Dream Eleven and uh, there's a couple of other platforms, um, especially in the smaller countries, Brazil, places like that. Um, the kind of like manipulation that happens at a platform level, both from a data standpoint as well as from a contest um, standpoint, from a you know payout standpoint, is huge. So I think that really speaking, what we want to do is to make sure that uh, you know, primarily speaking, the data that we're taking in is validated um, a couple of times because um, there's two sets to the validation. One is validating the raw data itself. So we use um, three separate APIs. Providers, we use three separate um, Oracle providers, so uh, we ensure that the, the the raw data that's coming in is um, you know decentralized before it hits this smart contract that calculates the fantasy points, um, and then once the fantasy points are calculated, um, that gets fed into its own set of um, you know data validators to go through a second validation process before which um, the actual game starts using that data. So um, I think like by focusing on that, um, what we've done is to make sure that the platform is as um, secure as possible as fair as possible and as uh, manipulation proof as possible uh, i think like for- i seem to have lost oh, sorry. Um, audible now yes Awesome. Um, yeah. So I, what I was saying was that um, you know, the reason this is important when it comes to the sports we're offering is because a lot of this data doesn't exist on chain, um, any chain. So for for um, most of the stuff, we've really had to define out not just the data points, but um, you know, work with um, the oracle providers to you know get the validators to you know provide us with oracles that can validate this data and then, um, you know, second set of validation. So really speaking, the process of, you know, just getting the data right, um, that is a process in itself. And it's one we feel it's worth investing in simply because the fact that once we do this, um, it's a one-time activity that a lot of other protocols are going to be, um, you know, open to using as well and we're not just talking fantasy sports platform we're talking sports books we're talking um you know leverage platforms we're talking pretty much any um you know platform that could use data or sports data in some way okay well seeing as we're starting off with football soccer and
1: cricket yeah, i mean how are, are you expecting americans to get involved with fantasy cricket is that worth talking about or shall we just end? well I, more?
2: Think that, I think that um, you know, when it comes to America, we're very, very quickly pivoting, um, you know, immediately, I, I would say, into the American sports, like N- the NBA is um, going to be next, the NBA along with the NHL, uh, sorry, the NFL is going to be next. Um, so I think within, um, I would say, 30 or 45 days, um, you know, we're going to have um, two new sports added um, uh, to the system as well. So what we've done is we've really, speaking, looked at the market, right? Um, you know, when you're looking at fantasy sports as a global um, uh, sort of uh, experience, um, what we've done is focused Focused on the two sports that are really speaking um, a, a large chunk of the market I'd say like 50 60 percent of the market belongs to these two sports um, and then once we've done that very quickly pivot to the other two sports that are you know really controlling when it comes to the, um to the market as well and uh, one of the reasons we've done that is simply because of the formats themselves um, you know when it comes to playing daily fantasy sports or fantasy sports in general um, what we've seen is that in um, most countries where uh, people are playing daily fantasy sports in cricket or football um, if you're not using a sportsbook model, um, like we aren't, um, it's basically um, more um, match my match, uh, team by team, um, versus a lot of the uh, you know fantasy sports that's played in the US is more league based. It's more um, you know dynasty style. Um, there's a lot of you know format differences between the way that fantasy sports is played in the US versus where it's played elsewhere in the world. Um, so I think that primarily one because of the data itself and then two because of the contest types um that the, you know the way that fantasy sports is played, uh, I think that we've had to sort of, um, you know, chop this up into into separate parts, I would say. So um, the first part is to focus on, you know, player versus player, um, you know, multiplayer, multi-team and single-team entry, um, very, very simple contests, and then sort of branch into, uh, you know, slightly more uh, advanced contests, like I said, dynasty leagues and, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, slightly more US-focused um, contest types. Sure. Okay. So
1: you're talking about player versus player. I remember you yeah, you telling us about that previously. Yep. Um but just kind of going over that just now, if that's all right. I can see there's a few basketball fans in just now. So just maybe if we could just talk about it in relation to the NBA, that would be pretty sure. cool. Sure. Um how how would that work in practice once we sort of go to the website?
2: Yeah, so um I think that like in terms of the 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 contests itself, um so generally speaking, if you're let's say on um Um, on Fantasy Premier League, for example, right? Um, So Fantasy Premier League essentially has a league-based format. They've got a season-long, you know, system where you're choosing players on a weekly basis um, versus what we do is we focus more on the daily model um, where essentially you've got matches happening on a daily basis. Um, You're essentially... taking part in that one particular match, you're forming a team for that particular match. And once the game is over, your payouts happen immediately, and then you can move on to the next game. Um, and I think that just that format itself um, is slightly more focused at the Asian and um, I would say the U- the UK audience, more than um, I would say the US audience. So the US audience is more focused on, let's say, um, you know, an entire weekend's play, for example. Um, you know, if um, I'm looking at, let's say, forming my fantasy team for, um, you know, daily fantasy sports or for the weekend, Um, what I could do let's say on DraftKings is um, you know look at all the teams that are playing on the weekend and essentially form my team from um, you know 20 teams rather than from just the two that are playing one game so let's say if I've got um, you know 10 teams playing on a Saturday and 10 teams playing on a Sunday um, what I could do is basically have my 11 players picked from all 20 teams rather than focus only on let's say a game-by-game basis and I think just sort of this model change itself is um, you know but when it comes to the smart contracts, um, a lot of it looks easy. But I'm going to say it's not, um, to be honest. And um, you know, really speaking, uh, when it comes to fantasy sports itself, some of so really speaking, um, you know, the base problems that a lot of fantasy sports platforms have had surround um, you know numbers and scalability. Um, if I'm playing, let's say, you know, DraftKings or Dream Eleven, I have the ability to enter into a contest of let's say a uh, hundred thousand entries, two hundred thousand, five hundred thousand entries. Um, find me one blockchain platform that can, you know, have numbers that high. It's just not possible, right? Because like the data that's being processed on-chain is just tremendous. You've got 15, 20 different data points for each player. You've got 11 players in each team and then multiply that by the number of teams you've got in a contest type. Um, So really, these are massive numbers that, I mean, on Ethereum is just Un, impossible but um i i think like a lot of this is also down to um you know how much can you push the blockchain itself and i get into that when we talk about you know the blockchain side of things but just from a fantasy sports standpoint i think um we want to we want to make sure that the contest types are talking to the audience so i think that when it came to deciding what sports we were focusing on, we made the decision to focus on the easy, easier contest types and the larger audience and then sort of go more into the um, in, into the very, very niche audience, I would say, because like the US contest types are really, really niche. You know, not a lot, not a lot of people outside the US really, you know, even know what a dynasty league is. So um, I, I think that, in terms of the focus we we've, we've been very clear in terms of why we're going about doing it in a certain way it's not always down to you know the fact that like oh, i like football and you know i am from india so i like cricket it's a lot to do with the data and with um, you know what the data is telling us but but you do like cricket don't you no not particularly oh okay you're a football man <laughs> cool yeah and... i think you're a uh, football people i would say
1: so Again, if anyone wants to jump up and ask a question, more than welcome. I'm just trying to get things straight in my head as well. So hopefully it's not too basic for you all. But imagine we've got a football match, or I suppose it doesn't really matter, a a game on whatever sport it's in. There's two players, could know each other in real life. I mean, can you meet friends online on the platform, or is it more just you go and sort of head to head with a random?
2: Yeah, yeah. so we're going to start with random, um, but we are going to move to a model very quickly where, um, you know, you can come in and start your own contest types. Um, so I think that, like like I said, in terms of just this, uh, it comes down to the to the limitations of blockchain, I, I would say. But um, I think very quickly we are going to be able to offer those, um, uh, those abilities as well. So bring your friends, um, have your own leagues, um, you know, form your own um, um, rules, so to say, um, to an extent. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, that's going to be possible very shortly. I just brought
1: neat up should be up. There is yes, neat. Do you want to go with your question?
2: Yeah, we yep. oh, great. It's so the
3: first time I've done this. So uh, first I want to say thanks to you guys putting this on. It's great to learn all this kind of thing. Um, my biggest question for you guys is how did you get the license to use the team names and logos?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, it comes down to like what you're using it for, right? Um, So if we're using it to, let's say, um, um have anything to do with, um, you know, a football club, for example, it would have been, let's say, um, an issue. But um, I think in terms of, like, what the actual fan club represents um in reality it represents a staking pool um and that's as far away from a football club as possible so i think when it comes to what we're naming it for um that's really where the difference comes in and i think in terms of like the logo it's public um we've done uh, quite a quite good bit of extensive research around like the use of the logo itself but i think that for in-game um is done through our uh, through our providers through our data providers um and and i think that for the fan clubs themselves um we're being very very clear in that they're unofficial fan clubs um so we're not making um, you know any money off them the money's going back into the protocol itself so um essentially um if you're looking at it from both an economic standpoint as well as from um you know just um you know what the actual content of the um, um of the name is um they're both as far away from a football club as we can as we can imagine Okay, because
7: un- uh, from my
2: understanding is that with
3: these trademarks, you couldn't really use them for merchandise
2: either, not necessarily just for a club. Yeah, we can't use them for merchandise. That's, that's clear. Um, but then again, um, we're not using it to merchandise anything. What we're doing is essentially calling a staking pool, um, in most cases like a city name, like Chelsea's a city name for, for that matter. Arsenal, I mean, um, we could argue that it's a fan club and um, I could use it for, for a fan club, right? So, um, I've so lot... Okay, I wasn't sure what, where the gray area was. So if you're using it for a fan club, that's fine.
3: That's fine.
1: Okay, cool, cool. Cool. Thanks for your question, Nate. And have you had a look on the app.fury.fan website yet? i was just wondering if your were
3: uh, yeah, is I there. Did, uh, yeah, I just signed up to try and claim ownership for the Toronto Blue Jays. Okay.
1: You don't yeah, sound pretty, like you're a Canadian, but maybe that's just no, my, my ear. No,
3: I'm from, I'm from Australia, actually, but I've grown up playing baseball my entire life. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I'm yeah, so excited I'm,
2: on this one. I'm pretty sure he went to the website because, like, you wouldn't really know to ask that if you haven't seen, like, the you know the fan clubs up close. So I think that's that's a great question. Thanks, Neil.
1: Thank you. Okay, so just sort of returning to the gameplay aspect a little bit. So from the end or maybe the start of May, sometime we'll be able to go onto the website. I'll be able to say, right, I want to play a game of football with a random person. I go yeah. in, I look at it, and it's. um it's, it's okay, we're sticking with Arsenal against Chelsea. They're, they're playing in a derby match. Yep. I, I can then pick 11 players if yep. it's a game of soccer. So yep. I can pick my players from both Arsenal and Chelsea Yep. to make my fantasy team...
2: Yeah, and I think um, a lot of this will come down to the rules of um, how you can make your selections. Um, So I think that in terms of like traditional platforms, they really, really are geared towards, um, you know, the big guys, um, you know, who are taking part. So uh, what I mean by that is, let's say, for example, if you've got, um, you know, a 5,000 team, um, you know, pool that you're taking part in, uh, each participant there can, let's say, enter 140 teams, 150 teams. Now, what this does is it really, speaking, skews the, um, uh, you know, the winning percentage and the, the winner um, you know, in, into, the, into the hands of people who can really, speaking, put in a lot of money. Um, on our platform, what we've done is, one, we've put very, very strict limits on the number of teams that, um, you know, a particular person can put in. And although you can create as many wallets as you can, um, I think that it'll also come down to the fact that is it, Efficient for you to let's say um, you know create a create let's say you know fifteen or twenty wallets and enter um, you know the maximum number of teams for each with each one of those wallets. How many teams are you going to do that for? How many contests are you going to do that to? Um, Are the rewards let's say you know justified in terms of the time that you're going to spend? And what we found is that it's not going to be um, it's not going to be efficient for people to let's say you know form fifteen different wallets and 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 take part from fifteen different wallets. I think that um, from that point of view, we've kept the numbers really low. Um, so on a five thousand pool, you can enter a, a maximum of ten teams, um twelve teams, sorry. and um, on a thousand pool, I think that number capped um, at between three and five if I'm not mistaken. So I think that um, you know, when it comes to, uh, being able to game the system from um, you know from a user standpoint, we've been very clear that um, we, we want to make sure that the little guy has as good a chance as um, you know the whales. And one of the ways we've done this is by making sure there are limits that are much much lower than other platforms. So I think that from that standpoint, you're going to find that we are going to be a lot more um, egalitarian in the way that we distribute our um, you know winnings as well. Um, and I think that in terms of also the actual gameplay itself. When you're selecting these players, um, the, the the way that the selections work is you're going to have to balance out um, the cost of the player versus um, the, the number of players you're, you're going to be able to select from each team. So let's say if you're playing football, um, you can't select more than six players from a, from a side. So it's six and five. Um, so you have to make sure that you're selecting from both teams. So let's say if you've got like Arsenal playing Burnley, for example, you can't just Select all Arsenal players. Um, you know, um, and no offense to the Burnley fans, but the idea here is that we make sure that you're selecting players from both teams, one, and we make sure you have a selection of both good players and relatively average players because um, the way that the, um, uh, the, the, uh, credit system is designed um it's designed in a way where it will not allow you um you will not have enough credits if you're going to select all good players you, you will run out somewhere on the seventh player um you know so the idea is that you have to balance out your, your your team one between both the teams that are participating um two between how much you're spending on each player as well
1: awesome and just for our american friends burnley is a city in the north of england we've got teague with his hand up again teague are you there
4: <laughs> Sorry guys. Um just would you be able to explain uh regarding the the unsuccessful bids on ownership for teams? What happens with them? Say there's uh ten, ten people vying for a team, somebody's got yep. say, you know, five bids and no and everyone else has got zero. Do their do their U does the UST automatically become sort of fanfare tokens? Does that get staked um to that winning team member? Or does it get sort of returned
2: to them and then they can choose something else? Or does the UST get returned to them? How, How does that work? Yeah, great question. And I think like um, a lot of people have had this question as well. So um, the idea here is that, let's say, um, you know, Rebel and Teague are competing for um, Arsenal and um, Rebel's got a thousand people in, Teague's got 900. Um, Rebel takes the fan club, but he also takes um, his supporters, your supporters and you. So all of the funds that come in from um, you, from your supporters as well as his supporters is converted as well as his contribution is converted into Fury and staked with, um, let's say in his case, Arsenal.
4: Like, that that makes sense because obviously you are trying to support the team. um, Yeah. Anyway.
2: All right. Cool. Perfect. Thanks absolutely and and just another thing in terms of the ownership of the team itself um you know there's been questions around you know does ownership is ownership permanent um you know is it you know can you sell it um so right now um the way that ownership works is that it you cannot sell your club um the idea is that if at all uh, you know the club or uh, you decide to unstake your tokens um, at any given point in time uh then the the ownership of the club will essentially go to the person who was next in line <laughs> excuse me, who is next in line, um, you don't have to claim the club. And if you were the only one to claim it, it comes back to fan FanFury um, in terms of ownership. Um, the people who have staked in that club uh, can then choose amongst themselves um, through a voting system of sorts uh, to elect an owner.
4: Okay, thanks. So that, that makes sense. And then I think I read somewhere in time you, you're going to convert them to NFTs that uh, could be traded. Is that right? Yes.
2: That's absolutely true. And I think that right now we're sort of just thinking, um, you know, we're sort of trying to figure out whether we need to have them as fractionalized NFTs or not, because um, we can very, very quickly see them as being, you know, valuable in terms of, um, you know, the amount of money that um, a, a certain club is generating, say, for example. So if, let's say, your club is generating, you know, a million dollars in revenue um, every year, uh, you're not going to gonna want to sell it for like a $1,000, right? So I think that in terms of like, why we want to, have fractionalized NFTs, that's primarily the reason. So I think once we make that decision of what sort of NFT we're gonna go with, then yes, we will release that as well. Awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks again,
1: T. We've got Mayor Ed. Sorry, I didn't see you coming up earlier. Are you there?
6: Yeah, I'm here. Uh thanks for having me up. I'm in the US and I'm I'm familiar with uh, the daily fantasy sports uh, mainly um and and NFL and baseball. And, and I know with uh, with FanDuel, it, it's more of a daily thing. It sounds like you guys are going to be more structured around um, owning a team and running it throughout the whole season. Is, is that how the structures worked with the team ownership? But then will there be individual um, daily contests, like for just individual games? Can you give me an idea how, how that'll work with some of the contests? Sure. No. So I think
2: that um, in terms of like the way that you need to look at it is um, these fan clubs themselves right um really speaking they are um they're staking pools um if you're looking at it from a you know defi standpoint, they're really speaking just decentralized staking pools um so rather than have one large pool we've got 250 of them um but I think more importantly um they are disassociated from gameplay so um the gameplay aspect of things is completely separate from the fantasy uh, of sorry from for the from the fan club's standpoint. um, Think of the fan clubs as more owners of the platform that are going to benefit from um, the profits that the platform generates. Uh, they're your stakers that keep the platform up and running uh, versus the gameplay aspect of things is essentially very, very similar to the way that any other fantasy sports platform works, daily fantasy sports included. So you will be able to, let's say, come in, um, you know, like like we were discussing, um, you know, to come into a game that's happening today between two teams, select, a, um, you know, your team from uh, the 22 players that are taking part. Um, and then at the end of the game, um, you know, you're going to have essentially... Um, a, a, a ranking system so depending on where you fall in that ranking system uh you get your payouts as well um and that's all immediate as when i say immediate i mean same day um so you can essentially take part in a contest um and get your payouts the same day
6: and payouts are going to be in the fury tokens they are so um
2: i'll get into you know the tokenomics and the token when right uh,
6: right i it know it's still, still pretty early um also you you mentioned um i i understand this is going to be be based um on terra is this an app running on terra um are is this going to be a an individual blockchain i'm just curious more about the the technology yeah. side of it also yeah
2: that's a great question um so i think we made the decision very early to go with terra for multiple reasons um but i think very quickly we um I think towards the end, um, you know, we ran into issues around, I think, scalability and, you know, we're still facing issues around, I would say, the 5,000 to 8,000 mark. Um, So, I mean, if you really want to run fantasy sports, you're going to have to offer people large pools. You know, I'm talking like 100,000 people. Um, And it's, it's going to be very difficult to, let's say, do that on Terra, like I said, because of the data points that are going to be involved. So I would say without being too hasty that eventually we will have to move to um, our own blockchain solution. And um, I think that it's going to do a lot of good, not just from the point of view of um, you know the solution itself, but from the point of view of the ecosystem, because I think that what we're going to be doing is defining not just a fantasy sports ecosystem, but a sports ecosystem as well, because we're focused on not just fantasy sports, but esports, gaming and uh, traditional sports as well. Um, so what we're going to have or what we're looking at having is a very, very, very low cost solution that is very, very highly scalable um, and that can um, essentially provide us with the base infrastructure um, where we're able to um, you know, offer these large, large contest types and contest pools.
6: Okay, very good. And just one more question. I I know in the US, you know, with the 50 different states, there's a lot of different uh laws and regulations, but it sounds like it's since it's more of a, a fan uh venue and a uh, a club that that might be able to um circumvent some some of the regulations and stuff. But so it sounds like um, you know, uh the the wagering will be paid out in in fury tokens and it you'll be more of a, a part of a club so like if it's let's, let's just say um you know the Cincinnati Reds you know you can be, become a part of that baseball team club and then you benefit on on their win loss is is that is that more correct no no oh. so, the way it works
2: is that let's say for example um you know the games that are happening um you know those games don't affect um, the the fan clubs at all. Um, So it doesn't matter what game is happening in which sport, um, the fan clubs are going to take home rewards irrespective. Because think of them as, you know, going back to the DeFi side of things, um, staking pools. So um, why would one staking pool benefit more than another, right? So um, the way it works here is that all staking pools benefit equally from the profits that are generated from the platform. So um, rather than, you know... um, tie it to um, the club's performance itself, what we do is we disassociate it from that and tie it to the profits that are being generated from the platform. So what this does is it essentially gives the uh, fan club's ownership of the of the platform itself. Um, so community ownership. Um, it also puts the profits directly into the hands of the owners, um, the stakers. Um, and also third, it gives them the ability to then have governance on the platform to decide, um, you know, let's say um, things like adding you know, new teams um, into the system.
6: Okay, that's very interesting. Sounds like you're definitely trying to b- build value through building out the community. And yeah. I, I really, that this sounds very, very early and very interesting. So thank you. Thank yep. you so much. No worries. I, I want to
2: touch upon one other point, uh, you know, Very quickly, um, with regards to this as well. Uh, You know, one of the things we've noticed is that on other platforms, like um, especially where they've had concepts around fan clubs, it's very closely tied into the performance of the team that you're supporting. And um, what we've done is we, by disassociating it with that performance aspect um, and keeping the fantasy sports parts, you know, really speaking separate from the fan clubs part, what we've done is made these fan clubs um, really speaking owners of the uh, fantasy sports platform itself. So think of it as, um, you know, uh, a way for you to, let's say, get ownership of DraftKings, of FanDuel, um, and this is like you can take ownership anytime from now into the future, because all it needs you to do is um you know buy the token and join a join um, you know fan club as a member. Um and essentially by doing this, no matter you know what your investment size is, you're essentially an investor, you're uh, an owner, and you're immediately taking profits. Um you know the profits that are being generated are distributed every eight hours. Um so every eight hours you've got um, you know rewards that are being ge- generated and distributed to our stakers. Um and what you can do is you can choose to auto compound that on a, on a daily basis. Um, so um i'll I'll get to the tokenomics again a little later but um i think from a value standpoint you're very very right in that uh, by disassociating it from the performance of the teams themselves um we can ensure that like the people who are um you know becoming members of these fan clubs are really speaking benefiting from the profit that the platform is generating itself rather than the team performance which is um in 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 our um you know in our minds um, minuscule when it comes to um rewards that can be distributed
6: Okay, thank you very much. I'll I'll check out the website. I haven't checked it out yet, but I, I'm sure there's some more information on the website. Be able to move around there and look around, see what you guys got um, online so far. But thank you so much. Thank you for coming. Thanks for your questions, there, Ed. Yeah, I mean that, that's certainly
1: something that's rather interesting, and maybe yeah, we can return to it when we sort of start the second half talking about the DeFi side of things. Um, can i just maybe return to a noob question if no one else has got one just now i think i've got a total misconception in my head once the games start i i want to play I'm i'm not just going to go head to head with one person that was i think what i thought in my head but basically i'm picking a team out of two teams that are playing and then playing against every single other person that's playing in that game is that right
2: you can do either. Um, so you can choose to, let's say, take part in, um, you know, a one-on-one, let's say, between me and you. Um, and those one-on-ones. So think actually, the way that we've sort of structured it is more to think of it as single entry and multi-entry. So you can have a single-entry uh, contest where you're you're competing against up to ten people. So it's you versus nine other people, or up to nine other people between two and nine other people, Um, or you can choose to have, um, you know, a multi-team entry where you're playing up to, where you're playing against from anywhere from between a thousand to five thousand people. So we've got essentially um, um, different Contest pool types, Um, we've got the single entry types and we've got the multi entry types. Um, So the single entry types are two on two, um, um, you know, me versus two, me versus three, right up to nine. Um, And then the larger pools are basically 1000 and 5000. So it's me against 999 other people, or me against 4,999 other people, um, depending on how many teams I'm entering, right? So in a 5,000 team um, uh, competition, I can enter up to 10 teams. So if everybody enters 10 teams, you're playing against um, essentially what, 500 people? Um, So yeah, I think that like in terms of the dynamics, you can choose to play against, you know, one-on-one against a player, you know, a single other player. You can choose to have multiple entries in a contest and play against, you know, a larger, larger audience.
1: Wow. Okay. And... Is what, what does it cost to enter either of these two different contest
2: types? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, what we've done is um, we focused on um, having a couple of different entry uh, points to the competitions themselves. So um, if you're playing head on head, you know, one on one, on one versus, um, you know, uh, against nine, up to nine other people, um, there are three entry points um, at $25, 40 and at $100. Um, and this is really to cater to all, um, you know, to all parts of our community, right? So what we've noticed is on most other platforms, you have $1 bets. Um, And really speaking, those are huge, huge contest types of over a million people, which we really speaking can't do right now. There are limitations on the blockchain side of things. So what we've done is we've um, looked at um, platforms that start at anywhere between twenty and twenty-five dollars, and what we felt is like at a twenty or twenty-five dollar price, that's a good starting point for people, and especially true because of the reward mechanisms that we have in place, um, specifically for our fantasy sports users. Um, and then um, at the forty and hundred, um, you know, uh, um, price point, to be honest, on most other platforms, we've seen like um, you know head-to-head contests between like three people that go up to forty thousand. Um, in a single contest so um in terms of like entry we're trying to be as prudent as possible as you know right now because we're launching um so that we're as inclusive but i think we're also keeping in mind that we need to make sure that we're offering people different entry points depending on what their um you know um, appetite for risk let's say is um and then the large entry pools um because of the fact that you're competing against a lot more people um the entry points start a little lower at um ten dollars or uh, uh Uh, so 10 25 and then um 100 again if i'm not mistaken okay so
1: i'm i'm going in and i'm going for the small contest with less players and i go for the the 25 dollar pool and then you happen to be doing the same thing at a similar time and we just happen to be in the same group does that mean you you also have
2: to go in with 25 dollars or can we be matched up with different amounts you can't match with different amounts. So if right. I'm I'm in an entry of twenty five, ideally the other person's going to be putting in twenty five as well. Um. So that's um, that's essentially how. And and to be honest, that we've never really seen a place where I put in twenty five and somebody else puts in like forty. Um. So I, I think like we've tried to make sure that in terms of the platform we're as similar and as um you know uh, um. We're as close to you know what you'd see on a traditional platform as possible because we want to make sure that our fantasy sports players aren't thrown off by the blockchain side of things. You know what I mean? Um mm. what, we- is that a huge, huge, um, you know, blocker for people moving from the traditional space onto the blockchain is just that there's just too much of new information for them to process at a single time. Um, so we are trying to make sure that the, um, you know, the the, the move um, that they make from uh, traditional fantasy and traditional finance to the blockchain is as seamless as possible and in language that they understand in a visual environment that they understand. So it makes it as easy as possible for them to make that move with a learning curve that is going to be really 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 quick
1: exactly I mean that that to be honest is I mean I'm interested in the fantasy sports side of things but this aspect of fan fury is what excites me the most like and it's not necessarily super intuitive when you first think of fantasy sports but you are going to be responsible for onboarding tons of people into Terra and that is great For everyone that's already here so how how are plans going for like if I showed this to a friend who is interested in fantasy sports but has never bought a cryptocurrency before how how are they going to sort of find their way around the website and such
2: yeah. So um, I think that, you know, really, like I said, what we want to do is to mimic, um, you know, the traditional experience. Right. So um, if you've ever played Clash of Clans or any of these games, um, as soon as you enter the game, you're asked to, let's say, you know, buy a certain number of in-game tokens. Right. Now, you don't think twice about doing that because you're so used to the fact that you need to buy, let's say, this you know, weird token in this weird game because you have to play, um, you know, any of these games are similar, right? You you play pool online, you're rewarded with, you know, vague tokens or vague coins that, you know, different protocols or different games have. And really speaking, we're looking at it exactly the same way. So um, you're, you're joining our platform. Essentially, what you're going to have to do is to make your, um, you know, your, your entry fees um, in this token or in this coin that, you know, this, this, uh, you know, fantasy sports platform either a traditional fantasy sports platform or a traditional game. Um, And I think that by doing that um, from question things that they used to so if i let's say come into a game and i'm asked to buy a token that i need to use in the game i'm not going to question that but if i'm told that i need to buy a cryptocurrency and then um you know what's the what's the what's the you know things about a cryptocurrency that i need to know and what are the things around staking that i need to know i mean that is going to be a huge amount of information for a group of people that are just not interested in learning about this stuff i mean you want to come and play uh, you like uh you know your team and you feel like you've got a certain knowledge to play uh, in a certain sport or put a you know uh, test your skill in a certain sport you don't want to know about like defy yeah this is like their worlds apart like you know what i mean like where's the sports world connected with defy nowhere but um, by hiding it behind you know um, membership um and and fan clubs what we're doing is you know building this um, association of trust um, with ideas and concepts that our audience already understands and then tying it um, you know into an emotional sort of you know ribbon wrap package Um, where, you know, you're not just, um, you know, you're not just looking at a familiar concept, but you're looking at a familiar concept that um, you're also sort of emotionally tied to.
1: 100%. So if I can just finish this off and then we'll get Richard up. Like new people coming in, they'll need, they'll have a need for Fury. Are they going to need to worry about Luna, UST, setting up a terror station wallet or anything like that? Yeah,
2: so you can do it either ways. Um, And I think one of the big things that, um, you know, we've done is um, through campaigns that we're running where, you know, educating people on one, what is a Terra wallet, why is it important to create one Um, and then actually getting them to create the Terra wallet itself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that from that standpoint, um, you know, we're trying to make sure that we're being as educative as possible, but we also want to make sure that for people that, you know, don't have the time to do that, they have an experience that is familiar, which means offering people the ability to log in with, you know, Google or Facebook or uh, Twitter, Um, just being able to, um, you know, socially log into a platform Mm -hmm. immediately and then very quickly use your debit card to, um, you know, buy, Either Fury directly or USD. Um, I think that right now it's going to be USD um, because we're right now using um, um, integrations with uh, third parties. But um, and like I discussed, um, you know, on a previous. Uh, you know, talk together, uh, the integrations with our banking partner are going to happen very, very quickly, which means that we will then be able to offer, um, you know, to any of our users uh, the ability to very quickly, not just on and off ramp their, um, you know, fury tokens uh, in and out of the system directly into their bank accounts, um, but also be able to, you know, cross swap between over 100, 150 different tokens. So think of being able to, like, you know, have a sol. Uh, you know, have Sol or have AVAX in your account and then very quickly, you know, convert your AVAX to Fury and then take part in a contest. Um, So we're going to be really speaking, be able to offer these services in app without you having to go to an exchange or, you know, create another account or uh, do 10 other different things and worry about 10 other different seed phrases, um, you know, in order for you to accomplish a simple transaction so uh, just log into the app you have access to um what is going to look like a very traditional fantasy sports platform and a very traditional wallet and then you're going to have the option at that point to like i said traditionally use your bank account or if you're um, you know um uh a crypto user be able to very quickly move in, um, you know, tokens from other, um, you know, ecosystems, move it into the into the, into the the wallet and then very quickly convert it into uh, Fury directly without having the need for U- USD or Luna. Fantastic.
1: Okay, we'll maybe get Richard up for his question and then we can maybe move into our halftime break. Yep.
5: So Richard, have you got a question for Adrian? Yes, I uh, just want to start off saying uh, Rebel, uh, really love your channel. Uh, it, I, um just a shout out from the, uh, the, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I commented on, uh, the homesick feeling I get when I hear someone from Scott, you know, when I hear Scott talking, right? I remember um, that. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, so just a shout out to you, Rebel, love your channel. And, uh, uh, just had a quick question for those users that aren't involved in the crypto space that want to come into FanFury. Um, Are there any tax implications? Because technically they're getting sort of a, like the way I see it, they're getting LP tokens, they're buying gems in in the app. And those are basically a receipt of a crypto transaction that has been made on their behalf. I don't know if I'm misinterpreting that. Um, But um, yeah, I just wanted to know if there was any um, official uh, securities or asset trading on the part of the person using this app
2: yeah, that's a great question. And I think um you know really speaking, it comes down to um, you know how you're using the app itself. So um I think from a, a traditional standpoint, um most traditional, Um, app users are used to, you know, taxes and stuff like that. They're used to going through that experience. But um, if you're a crypto user and you're just using your terror address, um, ideally speaking, it's just like using any other, um, you know, crypto platform out there any other crypto app out there. Um, So in terms of like the tax implications, ultimately it is going to come down to, you know, the user's uh, ability to report or not report that. Like, so from a platform standpoint, there isn't any legal obligations on us to, let's say, report anything that, you know, um, our users are doing. From um, uh, you know, with by logging into it, you know, using that data account because one, we can't really track a lot of it, right? So um, I think that from that standpoint. Um, as a platform we we're, we're backing off as much as possible when it comes to people who are using the blockchain to log in but obviously if you are um you know logging in with your bank accounts and stuff like that um there is a certain amount of kyc that you're going to have to do which means that there is a certain amount of regulatory um regulations that um you know we as a platform need to follow simply because we are um, you know part of that um, part of that infrastructure let's say um and i think that we've taken the decision to have this two pronged approach because of the fact that our um, you know a, a Um, audience when it comes to, you know, who's using the platform, it's been very focused on a traditional audience rather than a crypto audience. So um, although you will see that we are tailored for um, a fantasy sports, a traditional fantasy sports um, audience, we also offer, you know, very, very cognizant of the fact that um, you know we have crypto users and we need to be um, uh, uh, you know aware of what their needs and uh, what their you know issues are as well so i think that from a crypto standpoint it's going to be up to you i, I would say um, if you're logging in with a terra account but um, obviously there's no way to avoid it if you're going to come in as a traditional user but most traditional users that we know don't really worry about this okay thank you yeah. And I think um, just to add on to that, um, you know, what we want to do eventually is to move people onto crypto, right? So um, that's that's really speaking what our educa- education sort of campaign has been around, you know, the, the creation of the wallet and stuff like that. It's really speaking, educating people on, um, you know, what's the importance of having, a you know, a, a wallet, but Uh, not specifically a Terra wallet, but just, you know, a a crypto wallet in general. Um, You know, what's a hard wallet, what's a soft wallet and why it's important. So I think um, like PSA standpoint, um, we're trying to make sure that people that that come on board, uh, we have a large audience that we're talking to. So we want to make sure that we're educating people along the way. So even if we're looking at like a 1% or a 2% conversion rate, that's a huge, huge number. You're looking at like, um, you know, at least 100,000 people at a 1% conversion rate. So um, these are massive numbers when it comes to just an education um, PSA standpoint, and we feel like we're, we're in a perfect position to do it simply because of the fact that um, it's um, you know, it's in an industry that we already have an audience for. There's like a tremendous market already that exists.
5: It's, yeah, it seems like um a, seems sorry seems like a wonderful on ramp for uh, those who are not in the crypto space already. Uh, could lead to you know an explosive set of um, explosive growth. Um, lots of people. It sort of gets your foot in the door and gets you used to. You know, for all of us who have already involved in crypto, it's second nature. But I can understand someone's you know, hesitance or ignorance. They don't know how to do it. And it's not important enough for them to learn. So they just don't get involved. But we can have millions of wallets and, and things being created on various ecosystems. So it's really exciting.
2: Yeah. And I think just to touch upon that a little more, um, you know, when it really comes to the um, experience itself, um, like I said, we've we've tried to make sure that the experience itself is not indicative that it's, you know, DEFI or blockchain. So, um, you know, you're not going to be asked to come in and stake your tokens. You're not going to be asked to come in and bond your, um, you know, bond your money or bond your tokens. Um, You're not going to be asked to come and provide liquidity. Um, You know, these are concepts that um, really speaking, I mean, most people in the blockchain world take some time to wrap their head around. So, you know, explaining it to a non-crypto audience is it's going to take a huge huge time uh, amount of time and 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 a lot of um, you know education educational resources to be able to do this in this at the scale at which we want to so rather than do that what we've done is um you know to sort of mask it mask the defy side of things behind a more uh traditional interface and around a more traditional concept and idea so if you're asked to let's say you know come and stake a token and you know uh, provide liquidity for it um you need to first figure out what staking is right i mean you need to spend some time understanding what blockchain staking really does and why it's important um, but if i tell you you know you need to come in and, and and join one of these fan clubs and then um you know by joining these fan clubs you are essentially going to get um a certain amount of rewards paid out to you every month um, you know it, the concept is simple. It is very, very easy to understand. It's something that they do on other platforms and other games, right? It's like joining a faction or um, you know joining a clan. Um, so it's 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 a concept that's very, very easily understood am- amongst most gamers. Um, and then from a fantasy standpoint, um, you know, just uh, being able to not just participate in the fantasy side of things, which um, you know, in terms of the payouts, are going to be tremendously, tremendously better than most other uh, fantasy sports platforms out there. Um, but also in terms of the defi experience um you know being able to take part in both um without having to learn new concepts and new nomenclatures and and understand new um you terms and spend you know a month or two just getting up to speed on what certain things mean is going to be huge when it comes to you know moving people from the traditional space because um to give you some ideas of what the numbers are like um you know the the entire blockchain space put together we're looking at like 100 million wallets maybe um when we're looking at uh, that's probably, uh, you know, gone up a little, but um, nevertheless, uh, if you're looking at just India, uh, Dream 11 alone has 130 million subscribers. Um, so, I mean, when we're talking about what the market looks like, um, we're looking at like a thousand to one market. So it is just massive when it comes to the opportunity that we have to move people over from, uh, you know, the traditional fantasy world into um, the blockchain world.
1: I love it. It's massive. Thanks for your questions, Richard. appreciate those. Just, Cheers. You're welcome. Yeah. Just one final question then before we move into a little halftime break. I was wondering, are you sort of keeping up to date on the fan clubs, Adrian? And are you watching like how many people are sort of trying to pick different teams and stuff?
2: i've been actively avoiding that to be honest um just generally sort of focused on more on um uh, you know what what needs to be built out in the technical aspects of you know what needs to come out in the next few days i think um really speaking i've not um, it's not that i've not wanted to uh, to be honest the the um uh, the impulse to go and check has been uh, quite quite high i would say because like i've got the entire team like talking about it right now um but no i've i've actively sort of avoided it
1: Oh well yeah I suppose you can't answer the next question I was just going to ask about the Washington Nationals to see um, if that was a popular choice at the moment Yeah,
2: to, to, to be honest um really speaking I mean it's it's a, it's an obvious choice right for 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 the lunatic community but um like we've seen uh, a lot of the people that are building on the community like sort of pick other clubs and i think this really goes to the fact of um you know we had a question in the community about why would you know people you know choose more than one club why would people choose let's say club number two or club number three um and i think it really comes down to the fact that you know when you when you when you're looking at it from a from a as a defy head um you know you're looking at it as staking pools staking rewards um whereas when you're looking at it as a fan um you know like Even though, let's say, the Washington Nationals are very, very closely related to the terror community, not a lot of the terror communities actually picked it. Um, Instead, choosing to pick clubs that are, you know, closer to their, um, to, to their home or to their heart. And I think that really talks to, um, you know, the idea around, um, you know, what this whole concept means, right. Cause, um, by, by using that concept, um, you know, what we've done is really speaking, made sure that people are uh, a lot more focused on what they, um, you know, what's close to them rather than what's economically important for them.
1: Fantastic. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing the sort of fantasy sports side yeah. of just, the project. I thought I'll you cover, want to come back?
2: Yeah, just, I just want to cover like a, uh, maybe two or three, uh, you know, sort of different things on, on the fantasy sports side of things before we move into the, you know, DeFi um, side so of certainly. things. Certainly, sure. Yes. A couple of, you know, very, very important, um, you know, factors that we've made sure to focus on, you know, when it comes to fantasy sports is um, in terms of like, um, you know, what are users getting, right? I mean, why are uh, users going to move over, let's say, from, you know, FanDuel or DraftKings over onto our platform, you know? Um, So I think that really speaking when we're talking from a fantasy sports standpoint, uh, it comes down to three things. Um, One is, um, what's the rake fee that the platform's charging? So in case, um, you know, people out there aren't familiar with what a rake fee is, um, a rake fee is generally a fee that's charged by um, most um, sportsbook or fantasy sports platforms. And it's essentially, uh, um, you know, a platform fee, for lack of a better word. Um, So in most other cases, you're looking at rake fees of anywhere between 8 and 22 percent um which is pretty high um and and to be honest um um it's not possible for them to come down below that. We've seen a few of them at 5%, but it's just not sustainable for them. Um, what we can do is we fixed it at um, you know 5% flat. So um, whether you're playing one versus one against somebody else or you're playing in a 5,000 team pool, um, that rake fee is essentially fixed at 5%. Um, and, and then in turn, what this allows us to do is um, by having a low rake fee, we've got a much, much larger pool size to distribute, right? So um, on most other platforms, that pool size generally varies between like 68 and 70, 72%. Um, we can push that all the way to 95%. So, you know, we've got 95% of the prize pool, um, you know, that's coming in uh, that we can distribute back to um, you know, the people who are participating let's say. Um, and I think the third thing which is really, really important is in terms of like just the number of people that are winning. So, um, you know, what we've seen on most other platforms, um, and we're players, so I mean, this is something we're very aware of, is that most of these numbers um, in terms of winners hover around anywhere between 35 and 45, maybe be up to 50 percent so you know what we're saying is that out of every 100 participants um you're going to have either 35 or 40 of them you know winning um so you've got 60 people who are essentially putting in funds and not taking out anything um so what we've been able to do is to push that number right up to 75 percent so um we've got 75 in every 100 taking home a winning and for the people that you know just don't cut it they, they you know just don't have a team that is um, you know good enough to be part of that winning ratio because you got to have some some losers right i mean you have to have some people who are going to be part of that remaining 25 percent um we've been able to incentivize them as well so for those 25 percent you have a five percent cashback um so essentially no matter what you do on the platform if you are participating you're either going to be part of that 75 that win or part of the 25 that takes home a cashback and the cashback is not like a one-week gimmick or a two-week gimmick this is like indefinite so no matter when when you come on the platform um you no know, matter no matter how many games you've played um essentially if you are part of that remaining 25 you will continue to get that five percent cashback right into the future. Um, and I think that one of the ways that we've been able to incentivize the fan clubs is by making people, um, you know, um, essentially join or become members in the fan club in order for them to claim that cashback. So um, although the cashback isn't very big, um, what you're going to notice is that four months down the line, um, that cashback is going to look pretty sizable, right? And, um, you know, if you're going to have to, let's say, put in a $10 membership fee in order for you to claim, let's say, $300 um, and in cashbacks, uh, why not? Um, you know, so really speaking, when it comes to like the reward mechanism itself, um, it's tremendously better than anything that anyone else can offer, both in terms of um, the percentage that the platform takes um, to the uh, amount of people that are being paid out um, to the um, value of the payout itself. Um, so I think that like when it comes to traditional fantasy sports, um, we can we can really compete and do like at least two times better than any other platform in the space. Um, and we can do it with the platform, you know, running comfortably, um, you know, without breaking a sweat. Sure. Well, just, just to follow up on that a little bit, you were, you
1: were saying that other sort of platforms, the struggle when they lower their rake fees to 5%, but you reckon you fan fury is going to be able to do a 5% rake fee. Like how, how does that work, what what overheads do they have that you don't have?
2: Um, they've essentially got a board in VCs, right? So like when you're um, distributing your profits, right? You're distributing it between who? So um, let's say FanDuel and DraftKings, their profits are being distributed by the investors in the platform itself. So you're looking at a very small group of people uh, who have invested in these companies um, who are taking home huge, huge amounts of profit. Um, in our case, um, we don't have to do that. Um, we don't have, um, you know, a huge amount of people invested in the platform itself. Like who are our investors? They are people who are investing in the token, um so ideally what we've been able to do is all that revenue that's being generated and distributed to um you know the the people who are investing in these large centralized platforms um in our case we don't have any of those overheads um you know we don't have uh, an 800 million marketing budget that we need to rely on um for two reasons one because um you know the owners of the platform are are fantasy sports players so in terms of you know organic uh, numbers we can very very easily bring in organic numbers, um, and two is that in terms of like the um, ownership itself, by you know putting the ownership into the hands of these fan clubs, um, what we're doing is really speaking, saying um, you know there's uh, there are, there's millions and millions of dollars that uh, you know is being generated in profit by these large um, you know fantasy sports platforms. Here's here's it on a platter for you to come and take a part in, um, you know. So, how many fan esports players, you know, get the opportunity to go and invest in DraftKings or, or FanDuel? I mean, you you can buy a share, but um, how how do I go about doing it? I need a trading account. I need you know to to essentially deal with a broker. Um, whereas here, all I need is a terror address, um, and eight hours later, I've got my first profits.
1: Awesome, and yeah. I, I'm not sure I got the percentages right in my head, but how? what percentage of players are going to be winners? Was it, did you say 45%?
2: 75% of players are going to be winners. And then the uh, remaining 25% get the cash back. Get the cash so back. 100% of the time you're taking home something. Okay. So if, if, if I'm
1: in the 75% sort of classified as a winner, but I'm, I don't like win it, if I'm in the sort of lower end of that, am I still walking away with more money than I put in?
2: No, um, and to be honest, um, even um, out of the seventy-five percent, um, sixty-six percent of them are going to walk away with more than they put in. Um, ten percent of them are going to walk away with relatively the amount that they put in, and the remaining twenty-five percent are going to walk away with essentially five percent of what they put in.
1: Okay, so it's it's sort of like two to one that you walk away with more money than
2: you put in pretty much and and the way that we're looking at it is because of the fact that like 75 percent of winners 66 percent take home more than they put in um really speaking um when it comes to any other platform nowhere close um and and if for any of the fantasy sports players out there um you know they know what I'm talking about they know because they you know they know what uh, what the feeling is like to lose like you know a uh, uh, huge amounts of money to these big whales that are coming in
1: yeah yeah okay awesome um was there anything else you wanted to Discuss before uh, no, we I, change things I,
2: I, up. I think that I think that's that's that really speaking was um, you know the last part of what I wanted to touch upon when it came to the fantasy sports side of things because um, you know the reward mechanisms are really really what's going to drive a lot of the retention and a lot of the organic traffic in right because um, you know having that um, you know ding happen in your head. Like every time you win, um, you know, that's going to happen on every game here. Um, And then I I guess the community ownership and profit sharing that's going to happen is going to be tremendous when it comes to fantasy sports and sports players themselves. Because they've never had this opportunity before, you know, Um, it's a $21 billion market. Mm basically run by these guys that are losing money to these huge platforms um and like what we're saying is that like why lose money to a platform that is you know huge when you can come in and play on a platform that you can own it's like giving the keys to a casino and to a gambler and telling him like you own part of the you know the casino so go and play
3: excellent well
1: i'm not going to be stepping away in this halftime break i'm certainly still going to be here do you um, I was going to just talk a little bit about the Terra Expo. Are you? Yep. I know Fan Fury are going to have a presence. Are you going to be coming yourself?
2: I will. Um, it'll, it'll definitely be uh, me there at the uh, at the expo. Um, I think that what we want to do is we want to really speaking showcase Fan Fury. Um, we want to start talking about Fan Fury. We want to make sure we're getting the word out there because we've been building in 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 sort of stealth for a long time. And um, I think that one of the other things we're going to be doing is. Um, probably releasing our nft collection at the expo as well
1: oh wow okay bit of an alpha drop you heard it <laughs> here first awesome i'll be looking forward to that we've got edwin on the orbital command account he is going to be he's taking a sort of lead role in the the nft museum so i don't know if yeah it's i know i have anything to do with that
2: we actually wanted to sponsor um, the game room, but um, we went fast enough. I'm going to be honest, um, but I think that um, we still want to do, um, you know, the launch there. Um, it's it's we've not spoken about our NFTs at all, to be honest. Like it's it's really speaking something that we've been working on in in absolute, you know, privacy, um, and it's probably something I'll touch upon, um, you know, either during the break now or maybe a little later.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly excited to hear about that. And hopefully Edwin will be here for the rest of the call. Um, I mean, talking about getting the word out, and I, I know there's been a lot of details recently on your Twitter account about all these different new sponsorship deals. Would you be yeah. able to take a little bit of time and tell us about who you've
2: brought on board? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we are very excited about, um, you know, the 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 partners that we've been able to bring on board. Um, I think right now, a lot of the opportunities for us have been around sponsorship itself. Um, and, and um, you know, really speaking, it's, it's what the industry does, right? I mean, if you're looking at Socios, you're looking at, um, you know, Rev, you're looking at any of these uh, large, large gaming um, companies, um, a lot of them have, partnerships and sponsorships that um, you know they work with and i think it's going to be no different for us as well um what we've done is we've sort of focused on the big leagues um to start with because i mean if you're going to reach for the stars, you might, might as well just reach for the stars, right? So um, we've been able to uh, bring in Hohe um, Masvidal to start with. Um, we're looking at um, another couple of brand ambassadors. I'm going to say that um, for the American fans, um, Andre Reed is a confirmed um, um, uh, person that we're going to be announcing very soon. That's definite alpha. That's like, we've never spoken about that before. So um, that is some brand new information um for those who don't know um andre reed is um an ex nfl star um he's a pro footballer uh five-time nfl champion he's a hall of famer um and um, you know he's come on board Uh, in in multiple different aspects one um, obviously from a brand ambassador standpoint but um, also as a sports advisor he's also been able to come on board um you know with a podcast that he's going to run with us um there are content opportunities that he's going to have with us and we're going to try and have him at the at the expo as well
1: awesome that sounds pretty exciting um okay anything else anyone else want to come up and just bring a comment For the halftime break, or shall we move on to the DeFi section?
2: So I would say um just sort of dropping this out there if you're in Times Square anywhere between the twenty-fifth and the twenty-eighth, just look out for us. Of this month. Of this month. That
1: sounds like it could be an a a massive billboard or something. Pretty exciting.
5: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's probably true.
1: Okay. So we've been on for an hour and twenty minutes already. So probably close this off maybe. Yep. on the next hour so we've got another 40 minutes or so so thinking or moving on to the sort of defi side of things and um, it'd be good to maybe talk a bit about tokenomics talk about i know you've had some sort of early investors um i don't know if you're allowed or able to talk about who is sort of backing the project so far
2: yeah we can definitely get into that um so um in terms of like um you know how we've done our funding um to be honest like when we started this i mean really speaking it started as um, as just something that we were going to put our hands to and try right i mean um i've been trading for maybe a little over a year and a half and um like i've i've been a huge huge i, I let's put it this way luna's been a huge huge part of my life um you know cuz i mean i gotten really early um didn't put a lot in but gotten really early so um you know i was one of those that gotten around the 1 2 dollar range and then um, you know sort of built up built out your portfolio from there. So I've been very, very involved with the Terra ecosystem ever since then, um, you know, with Mirror, um, with Anchor, specifically with Anchor. So when it came to building, it really speaking was look at the ecosystem and, you know, what does not exist. At that point, there were no games on on Terra. And really speaking, there aren't any, um, you know, right now as well, you've got a couple of NFT games, but really speaking, nothing that is going to talk to a traditional audience. Um, It's always been about a traditional audience for us. So, um, you know, in terms of, well, you know where this started, it really speaking started as something that you know we were gonna to throw together, and you know. Essentially, just sort of have this very quick, uh, you know, token sale and then move on with life. Um, but I think it very, very quickly evolved from there into something you know much, much larger. I think once we started bringing in investors, because um, one we didn't expect to bring in any investors to start with. We just thought you know we're just going to throw this together as builders and you know walk away. But I think that once we started drawing a little bit of interest, um, you know, I think the roadmap sort of changed when it came to um, you know what the protocol was going to be doing and focusing on and how we're going to do it. Um, you You know, because obviously things started getting very, very serious, very, very quick. Um, So we started bringing with bringing on um, SVC Capital, um, um, who are actually, you know, legal experts as well. So they've been able to handle a lot of our legal issues. Um, We've also been able to bring in um, a few private investors um, from the Netherlands. I'm not sure if we're allowed to talk about them. So I'm just going to keep them private. Um, But really speaking, these two, um, you know, sources were, um, uh, I mean, uh, Fan Fury wouldn't exist without, I would say, the two of them, and specifically, um, you know, our private investor. Um, because, really speaking, when we started, um, we we, we were uh, we were working on shoestring budgets um, no idea how to start a company no idea how to get SAFTs done no idea what an SAFT was um, you know so um, really speaking these investors that came and um, put a lot of trust in us when it came to the funding when it came to um, starting the company getting things sort of rolling and um, you know being able to put your trust in somebody after like one or two meetings on Zoom is um, is, a, is a tremendous opportunity right so um, I think very early we sort of felt like um, there was a responsibility that was on the team to be able to deliver um so i think like you'll find um in a lot of places you know there's a little bit of parody and then uh, you know a lot of places you've got very very serious concepts mixed together um so you know the token supply is 420 million um, i'm not going to get into the specifics of that but for the people who get it they get it um and and uh, you know i think that it's that combination of you know playfulness and um, um, and seriousness when it comes to the tokenomics or the value um and how it gains value i think that's really speaking where we've been able to stand out um and our investors have helped it that way they have been very very um, hands off when it comes to um what we've been wanting to do and um, you know on multiple occasions pivoting from um you know the original plan um because as we've built out we found that there's so many different aspects of this you know, user flow that we've had to sort of think about if we wanted to target a normal audience um, on ramps when it comes to, um, you know, wallet addresses and seed phrases. And then also when it comes to like, um, you know, being able to use Fury, being able to convert Fury, being able to come in and out um, of the system when it comes to Fiat. Um, So a lot of this was, um, you know, um, as we sort of moved ahead, we found that, oh, we needed that. We sort of did that. And then I think that from an investment standpoint, we started with um, very small angel investment and then more moved very quickly to um, sort of the the, the seed round. Um, we quickly filled both with, um, I think, a lot of private investment and investment from off-chain. Um, a lot of the investors that you'll see on our investment roster are not traditional Terra investors. And I think that this sort of came down to the fact that, like, um, uh, as builders, we weren't really speaking associated with the Terra community um, for for quite a long time. Um, so we didn't really know anyone in the community that we could, you know, rely on or you know, ask um, you know, for help or you know, to, to approach. So, really speaking, we sort of took what we got. Um, but I think that the private round you're sort of gonna see that a lot of the investors that we brought into the private round, um, you know, GT Capital led the round. Um, they're also advisors for us. Um, you know, so I think in terms of the people that we brought on board in the private round, it was a lot more structured in terms of what we were expecting from our investors themselves. Um, you know, we've brought in guys. Guys like David Chen, um, who, um, you know, developed the mirror wallet. Um, we've gotten guys like, um, y- you know, um, uh, Flamel and Bar, uh, sorry, Purple Frog, uh, who've been, you know, hugely, hugely beneficial when it came to product feedback, when it came to, you know, deciding on market value. And and um, GT Capital themselves, um, you know, Nick um, from GT Capital is an, is an advisor as well. And, um, you know, uh, the advice that we've been able to get from, um, you know, the people that we've brought on board in 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 all our rounds for that matter has been tremendous um because like obviously we're first time builders um so we've had to rely on a lot of the um people that we've brought on board as investors to be able to guide us in some way or the other and they've done a brilliant job doing that
1: awesome and
2: i can see we've got dozen in
1: the call here as well um has has your sort of launch on atlo has that happened or is that still upcoming how's how are things going over there
2: Yes, yeah, so um, we actually were very, very particular in the way that we wanted to launch. Um, we, we did not do a lot of IDOs. Um, we- stuck with um atlos simply i think because of um the fact that they sort of mirror us in our approach right we're both very very focused on decentralization very very focused on community um very focused on value creation um and value creation through accrual um you know so i think that there was there were a lot of overlaps um in in just the um approach but i think that insofar as like the the team itself i think that um you know when it came down to just working with atlo it was just it was a dream i mean um there were really no hiccups um you know we the the process was as smooth as could be and and i think that just in general uh the rapport that we were able to build very very quickly and very very um early in our relationship um as teams uh, was i think a huge um you know reason why we went with atlo um apart from atlo we've not had any other ideas so even atlo was really speaking of pre-sale um so i think that like Uh, In terms of the approach, uh, no IDEO platforms, just Atlo. We've done, we're finished with our uh, pre-sale, actually. We're oversubscribed. Um, We have Forge coming up. Um, It's actually, like I said, open through the fan clubs themselves. Um, But for traditional Terra users, who are used to a more Forge approach. Um, That's going to open, I'm going to say, from the 23rd onwards.
1: Awesome, and I think I remember seeing something on Twitter about that. So that's that's essentially going to be like the Prism Forge, but yep. Fan Fury yep. Forge. Yep, exactly. Um, and it, 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 was, it was. I I remember um, reading reading a white paper or light paper or something. I saw like yeah, the maximum number of number of tokens being that four hundred and twenty million. And at the time I read it, I thought that's a bit of a strange number. But now <laughs> that you mention it again, it's <laughs> it's pretty cool. I, I,
2: a lot of people have had to figure out, like you know, like um, you know, work with the tokenomics to figure out, like you know, why four twenty. Um, you know, it's it's really speaking, it's an odd number. I mean, like if you if you're looking at it from a DeFi standpoint, it's there's no way you're going to be able to justify that. But <laughs> I mean, we went really traditional DeFi heads, right? I mean, um, a lot of it was just parody, I would say. So, um, a lot of that is reflected in um, you know, some parts of the protocol as well.
1: Absolutely. So, um, rather than just sort off. Tell us what's in your light paper. Is it a white paper or a light paper? It's a white paper. And a white paper. Become a codex. <laughs> okay. So, where can listeners get their hands on that?
2: yeah so um you you can you can get that on our website um fury.fan um so um i think the white paper that's available there has actually gone through a few changes that we'd um going through some updates right now with the design agency so i think i would uh, maybe wait until the 20th of this month before i get the absolute latest um version um but i think that the version on the site right now is is current up to i would say um our previous um our previous interaction together and um yeah Okay, and just looking on
1: the site, I can see that we've got hundred and twenty-six million are vested. And is that the ones people have purchased on Atlo? Um sorry, where are you seeing this again? So I'm just on Fury.fan just now, just when you said that's where I could get the the white paper down on sort of halfway down on the right. Well not halfway down actually, just kinda near the top, but on the right hand side it says tokenomics and token supply. And it says we've got the four hundred and twenty million is the total supply. Yep. And then 29 million is circulating. So 7%?
2: Yeah, so um, not 29. I think it'll be 26 and a half. So earlier it was... um, Twenty nine, simply because there were a few um, airdrops and stuff that uh, were supposed to go out as well as um, there was a couple of other allocations that were going to go out as well. But uh, that number has since um, dropped because because of the fact we're going with a PRISM-style approach. We need to make sure that the the tokens that are in circulation are pretty much just the PRISM Forge tokens. Um, So the idea is that um, what's going to be in circulation is just going to be the 25.2 million tokens that are going to be sold through PRISM Forge. um, And that's going to be distributed between people who take part in the the traditional Forge-based event, as well as the the auction of fan clubs. Um, And and I I think what you're going to see here is that um, because of the fact that we're including um, the fan clubs as well, um, everything that gets purchased by these fan clubs um, is is essentially going to be staked immediately, right? And um, if you're looking at who's staking it, um, it's being staked by fantasy sports players who think they're joining a membership club. So from their point of view, there is no option of you know the the idea of unstaking isn't even material um you know in their minds yet. so when it comes to these tokens themselves, um think of them as just being locked from day one um into a mechanism that will not unlock until let's say the fantasy sports player himself makes the effort to go and you know read up about deffy and about all that stuff so um for the most part, I would say like that there's gonna be a certain percentage of the supply that's gonna be immediately locked up just because of the fan club sales. But um, more than that, it's gonna be the 25 million um, tokens in circulation at TGE. Um, post that, uh, we're gonna have bonding um, that's gonna kick off. So. Um, uh, you're going to very quickly see um, the ability to come in and use either USD or Fury and USD to um, take part in our bonding process. Um, and this is going to be important simply because of the fact that, um, you know, a lot of our tokenomics are based on the fact that they um, the entire system is non-inflationary. Um, so none of the reward programs that we have, um, and that's LP rewards, um, staking rewards, none of these reward programs are inflationary in nature um so uh, all these rewards um they in most other cases they come from either you know platform fees um transaction fees um or in most cases from some token allocation within um you know the tokenomics itself um you know lp rewards staking rewards um you know that go on for either a certain amount of time or indefinitely which is even worse um mm. but In our case, um, we don't need to do that. Um, So what we do is, uh, first of all, we Transaction fees that we collect um are kept separate. But more importantly, the staking rewards and LP rewards, um, they're coming from the rake fee itself. So one, they're coming from the circulating supply, they're not being added to the circulating supply. Um, and two, because of the burn mechanism that's in place, um, you really have um, your rewards coming from a deflationary circulating supply rather than an inflationary one. So um, in terms of the actual tokenomics itself, the way that we've designed it is to make sure that one, um, you know, there aren't any inflationary rewards coming into the system for our stakers or LP providers. Um, two, we've made sure that there's a deflationary mechanism on every contest that works on the token price. So it's not like, you know, every burn is going to have a certain number of tokens. It's it's going to be a certain dollar amount worth of tokens that's going to be burnt. Um, so, uh, you know, really speaking, it's going to be, Um, if the price of the token is high, you're burning a lot less tokens, ensuring you're keeping value of the token itself as a whole. Um, If the token value is low, you're going to be burning a lot more tokens, putting um, a lot more pressure on the supply side of things. Um, So I think like from that standpoint itself, um, being non-inflationary from a reward standpoint and then deflationary from um, uh, 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 just a mechanism standpoint, um, this in itself is really speaking going to be unique when it comes to not just defi protocols but game five protocols itself right like slp itself like what's where is slp right now i mean um minus 100x i'm not sure but like that's what happens with in-game tokens uh, because you have like unlimited inflation huge amounts of payouts um so yeah you've got big aprs but what's the value of the token itself is if the token's dropping in value then the aprs don't mean anything right so i think that um when when you're gonna look at how we distribute our um revenue, um you're gonna look at huge, huge amounts of value being created simply because we're distributing our um you know reward programs all from profits rather than um you know from from fees or from any other sort of um allocations.
1: Exactly. So, I mean it's gonna be really exciting to see how it all kind of takes shape. So j just so I've got my head around this the burn mechanics. Well, I mean to begin with, I mean I love this sort of um the way that the rake fees are going to then pay the LP rewards, I think that's really neat tokenomics
2: yeah then, regard, sorry yep. yeah so in terms of even the um, you know the lp rewards themselves um, you know being paid out from the rake fees um, one is obviously yes they're being paid out from the rake fees so they're non-inflationary but who are they being paid out to is important as well um, you know because of the fact that um, you know we we're, we're focused on protocol owned liquidity um, the protocol is going to uh, take ownership of the liquidity from day 1 um, and through the bonding mechanism we're going to drive that liquidity um, but also um, the fact that like we've got a continuous never ending Um, supply of token rewards that's going to come to the liquidity pool itself. And these are non-inflationary rewards that are going to be paid out into infinity as long as the platform's active, right? Because as long as you have players, you have profit. As long as you have profit, you have LP rewards. So um, ideally speaking, we've got a never ending supply of rewards for our LP providers who are essentially going to be us. Uh, Unlimited supply of staking rewards for our stakers who are going to be players Um, all in a non-inflationary fashion um, and all um you know coming from the profits itself coupled together with the burn mechanism.
6: Wow. Pretty big
1: brain stuff then. What well, what about for people who maybe aren't going to be players, can they still stake the Fury token for some sort of reward?
2: Sorry, you were saying people who don't play?
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Experiences are absolutely separate, um, you know. So, for example, if um, you want to just come and join a club, um, you know, and become a member, um, you can do that. Uh, there's absolutely no, um, you know, no um, obligation on you to take part in the playing side of things. Um, but if you're taking part in the playing side of things, there could be an obligation for you to take part in the membership side of things, simply because um, the cashback, like I mentioned, um, you know, it's going to be measured in something called G Fury. Um, so, G Fury is just game fury. Um, it's got a one-to-one with the dollar. So um, 10 G Fury is $10. So essentially, uh, when you want to cash out that G Fury, um, what the system is going to do is to check and see if you've got a certain amount of Fury, you know, staked in part of, in one of these fan clubs. If you do, you'll be able to withdraw it. If you don't, the system will kindly ask you to join a fan club in order for you to get that out. So um, what we feel is like the DeFi side of things, um, there's not necessarily need to move to fantasy sports. The fantasy sports side of things definitely needs to move to the DeFi side of things.
1: Okay, cool. And just to sort of illustrate what we were talking about before about the white paper, it's right down the bottom on the fury.fan site. You can download that if you're looking to find out more about the DeFi side of things. Um, So when when the tokens, when you've got this sort of burn mechanism, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure how that works, but once once the tokens get burned or burnt, does that mean they are gone for good or can they somehow be
2: minted yeah, they're again? Gone for, they, they're gone for good. There isn't a minting process, um, uh, in the tokenomics at all, um, so there's 420 million tokens, and that is a continuously deflation. Uh, def- uh, it's a continuously deflating token. So, um, let's say for example, you've got a prize pool um, that is 500,000, um, you know, in in value. Um, so, what's going to happen is um, if you're looking at let's say a 5% rake fee on 500,000, you're looking at um, 10%, 50, 25,000. Um, so, if you're looking at 25,000 um, as your rake fee, um, think of like 40% of that going to your stakers directly. Now, when it's going to your stakers, um, this is all dollar value, right? This is not like fury value. This is dollar value. So $25,000 in dollar value um, is essentially divided 40%, 40%, and um, 40%, 40%, 10, and then 10. Um, And I'll get into what that means. So it's like 40% essentially goes to our stakers. Um, So if you're looking at 40% of 25, you're looking at about if I'm not mistaken, ten thousand Indian stakers. Um, now, the the way that the burn works is um, we burn a certain dollar amount worth of tokens. So, say for example, in this case, it will be um, ten thousand dollars worth of fury that will be burned. Um, now, let's say for example, um, there are uh, the fury price. Let's say for example, is at. 10 cents, um, you know, so if you're burning $10,000 worth of Fury at 10 cents, um, what we're going to have to do is we buy Fury from the market at 10 cents, um, which means we're buying 100,000 Fury and burning that immediately, removing it from the system. Um, and uh, essentially, what this is going to do is, like I said, if the price is at 10 cents, it's 100,000 Fury being burned. If the price is at $10, it's a 1000 Fury being burned. Um, you know, so what this does is, you know, as soon as the price of the token starts rising, um, it'll ensure that the amount of tokens you're burning comes down uh to make sure that the like i said the value of the overall token supply is maintained um but as soon as the price of the token starts falling too too heavily which um you know all we all know happens from time to time um the the burn mechanism mechanism itself um is going to kick in um, when it comes to like the number of tokens being burnt and because we've got a fixed supply and 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 in respect of fixed circulating supply, for the most part, um, we can ensure that there is a certain amount of pressure being put on that circulating supply from the buying pressure that's going to come from in from the in-game um, volume. So, I, I think that, really speaking, in terms of the um, the 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 mechanism itself, because we are valuing everything in dollars but burning in fury, um, I think that that is sort of what's going to stand out when it comes to um, the tokenomics itself. Sure. Well, if there's anyone else here on the call with a question
1: regarding the sort of DeFi side of things, you're more than welcome to come up. But in the meantime, just to sort of carry on that train of thought, the Fury token's obviously going to go up and down in price or is likely to sort of fluctuate in price. If, If I want to play a game, I'm not really buying a set amount of Fury to play I'm just buying a
2: dollar amount of fury to play. Is that right? That is absolutely true. So, if let's say you you've um, you're, you're entering into a twenty five dollar contest, um, what you're doing is um, at the time um, at which you're making that entry um, into the game. Um, so, say you've got your team sorted out. Um, times come times come for you to make that payment. Um, it'll take you to the screen where it shows you. Um, you are at this point in time, you need to make um, twenty five dollars worth of fury, which is let's say um, you know. 37 fury tokens um so essentially you make your payment of 37 fury tokens and and immediately what the system is going to do is it takes that payment in fury converts it to USD and holds it in USD. And the reason we do this is because if I say I'm gonna pay you um, a price pool of $10,000, right? I need to make sure that the integrity of that price pool is maintained at $10,000. You know, I can't promise you 10,000 and then give you 7,000 because the price of the token fell. Um, That's no excuse. Uh, So the idea here is that by converting it immediately into dollars and holding it in dollars, what we ensure is that the integrity of the pool is maintained, the integrity of the payouts are maintained. um, And and, um, in essence, what we can do is make sure that for example um, the value of the pool is independent of the price of the token itself although you're paying for the token and uh, paying for the the, the the entry fee as well as taking your payouts in the token um, so even though you're you're paying for it in the token taking your payouts and rewards in the token um, the price pool itself is independent of the token. Um, Um, you know value Uh, so it doesn't matter if the token goes up or down um, you know in between the time uh, that you make your entry and take your payout um, what you're going to get is essentially um, a payment made to the platform of ten dollars worth of fury and if you win you're going to get your dollar amount worth of fury paid back to you
1: wonderful so i mean that's great for the players then i'm just thinking about people well (laughs) maybe like myself considering investing in fury tokens Yep. I mean, essentially, like, for me to invest in the Fury token is really just a bet on the success of the platform. Because, I mean, if you've got, if your players yep. increase over time, yep. more and more people are going to need Fury yep. to play. Yeah, You'll be burning more Fury. Yep. I'm just staking my Fury, earning a little bit of
2: rewards. Well, not really, right? Because um, if you're staking your fury, you also have the option to auto compound it. So um, although we pay out our rewards um, every eight hours, um, the you have the option to auto compound on a daily basis. So say you've got 100 Fury today, um, you know, with whatever rewards you've got for today, that's become 102, um, you know, auto compound that. And essentially what you've done right now is you've given yourself the opportunity to um, have a bigger principle every time those rewards are paid out, right? So um, we're giving people the opportunity to not just, um, you know, take part in the profits, but also increase their share of the profits through auto compounding. And
1: that's that's kind of making me think a little bit of sort of PRISM in a weird way. I mean, you're launching with the PRISM Forge. Yep. It's sort of like the value accrual on PRISM is paid back to us in PRISM, and we're sort of betting on the success of that platform. Yep. The more Luna that's the refracted in PRISM, the more I'm going to get for staking my PRISM. Yep. I mean, it's, it's Obviously, it's completely different platforms, but it's kind of similar idea. Well, certainly in my head, it seems similar Well
2: i think that it it will come down to um obviously your audience so um one thing that we we're very very clear about is that because of the fact that we've got a traditional fantasy sports audience that we're targeting right um these are essentially users that are um you know playing the game for the sake of playing the game so i think like i touched upon this um you know on an earlier um podcast as well um was the fact that like most blockchain games today aren't talking to gamers they're talking to you know either crypto people you know defy users or they're talking to you know people that are in it to play to earn you know that play to earn concept um i think that like really what separates us from um you know everybody else is the fact that like in terms of the gameplay and in terms of like what people are um you know asked to do um the game itself is something that's has been played um, by traditional users for decades, right? I mean, um, go, go back to the days of, like, trading cards in the 50s, and it's essentially just an extension of that. You know, you've played trump cards when we were kids. So, you know, in terms of, like, what you're doing, um, in terms of the experience itself, it's an experience that we've internalized from the time that we were kids. Um, you know, and, and fantasy sports users, um, this is part of their daily existence. It's part of their daily life, especially if you're living in a, in a part of the, of the world that um, is huge on, you know, sports and fantasy. So, um, when it comes to like um, the actual platform itself, when you have users that are more concerned about I want to play with my friends, I want to show off my team, you know if there's a game happening, I'm playing. Um, you know the motivation to come onto the platform and actually take part is not the tokenomics so it's not the tokens it's not the you know the um the staking or the it, it's it's the fact that i want to come and take part i want to come and participate i want to come and compete against my friends who are also probably competing uh, you know against me like i want to show that like i've got a better you know skill set at picking a team than they do and and this is something that you know people already do on tons of platforms out there um and and what we're saying is that like you know continue to do that just do it here simply because you got better payouts um you got ownership of the platform and you've got like profit mechanisms that are going to drive you pretty much um you know into the future
1: okay well i mean just thinking about some of the profit mechanisms then you were you were talking about the the protocol owned liquidity which is going to be a big part of the lp pools i mean as as a sort of DeFi user am i going to be able to come along and go right fury ust Seventy percent APR. Yep, I want that. Can I join that pool, or is that not going to be an option?
2: That's not going to be an option. So you you are going to be the, given the option to come in and um, and and take part in a bonding uh, mechanism where um, you can essentially provide fury in USD, um, and what you're going to get in return is um, fury at a discounted sort of price um so say for example you're putting in five hundred dollars um and five hundred dollars worth of fury um for a total of a thousand um what you're going to get in let's say five days time would be let's say um a thousand and fifty dollars worth of fury tokens um so I, i think like in terms of um how we're looking at the value here is that by ensuring that we um you know Uh, uh, own the liquidity rather than renting the liquidity Um, we can look at this long term and say that in three years time when most platforms and most protocol builders exit the system um, we're going to be going strong Um, you know we're going to be at a position at that three year mark where um, because of of the fact that, that our bonding experience is not Infinite. It's it, it's essentially a three-year program that you're going to be that people are going to take part in, and then beyond that, because of the fact that we've got LP rewards coming from the rake fee, we don't need to take part in that bonding program anymore, right? Uh, we'll have deep enough liquidity to ensure that we don't need to take part in that bonding program anymore. So, um, what this does from our point of view is when most builders are exiting the system because like they've they've you know exhausted their reward mechanisms, the, the the LP providers are probably going to quit in like a year's time. Um, that's when we're going to be at our strongest. Um, you know that's when we're going Going to be like deep liquidity uh being able to um you know really showcase our social tokens and our social um social token decks um, that's going to be launching towards the end of the year, um, you know, so um, a lot of our partnerships that we're doing right now are centered around talking to these, um, you know, big, big athletes about, you know, where, where do they want to launch their social tokens? Um, you know, because obviously we're competing with other people in the market, but why are we going to be better? Well, simply because we've got a fantasy sports platform that's got, like let's say, a million or 10 million users um, that you can then market your products to um, you know as a sports person who better to market your products to than um sports fans and you know fantasy sports players they know the value of what you're marketing so um you know i think in terms of like um, why we want to do protocol owned liquidity it's it's a lot to do with our long-term um, approach for the protocol but also it's about being able to make sure that um you know we can provide some amount of stability um ensuring that people can't just you know their liquidity out whenever they want and just
1: sure well i mean the, your social tokens that sounds like a brilliant subject for another ama at some stage down the line and um, we've got richard with his hand up just now richard do you want to come back in yeah
5: thank you just had a, a quick question um regarding lp uh, tokens and rewards i'm rather new um i only joined the, the crypto space uh in November uh, right. and maybe a month ago got into uh, decentralized finance. Right. Um, and as I understand it, if I provided UST and Fury uh, to a liquidity pool that's pulled together with everyone else's resources that people want to swap UST for Fury and vice versa. So there's a pool of tokens that can be moved about. Yep. Um, but my question is the reward like you always have let's say you put in enough to get 10 lp tokens that's a receipt for x number of dollars and x number of fury mm-hmm. um that does that lp token rise in value over time yes yeah, so, um i think Are that LP tokens i mean you have a receipt for 10 of them and yeah. the number doesn't change they don't get bigger
2: well, I think it. Um, I think it would come down to, like, really speaking, getting into the mechanics of how um, liquidity pools work, right? Um, so I think, like, with um, and and this comes down to like impermanent loss, and um, this is a subject that is, I would say, oh, that's to, fine, a little yeah. complicated for a, t- uh, a traditional user, but I'll try to like get into it as, as 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 much as i can so the idea here is that uh, when you have a liquidity pool you have a certain um, dollar amount and then you have a certain dollar amount of worth of tokens in the pool and that sort of gives you your price right so if you have a lot of uh, if you have more um you know uh, buying pressure than sell pressure on the token you've got essentially more dollars coming in versus um uh, you know more uh, tokens coming in, or, or let's say the, the ratio is going to be skewed um, in 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 favor of the dollar. So you're going to have an increase in price. Um, on the flip side, if you've got more sell pressure, then you've got more tokens coming in, uh, more dollars going out. So you've got a reduced token price. Now, what this does for the LP itself, right, um, is that let's say you've got 10 LP tokens right now, um, and yes, you will continue to um, in most platforms have some sort of a reward mechanism that is going to pay you to um, compensate that impermanent loss Um, so in some cases let's say for example um, you know if the token goes very very low in value what you're going to find is that um, your LPs are going to give you a a huge amount of like the platform token and not enough USD when you like take your money out Um, and this is basically because the value of the tokens drop right so you're going to have a lot of tokens that are worth Pretty much nothing um but like in the case of let's say an appreciating asset um you're going to have less of the tokens that you put in but those tokens are individually going to be worth a lot more so say for example if you spent um you know 500 and 500 for a total of thousand and you've got let's say 900 lp tokens um in, in the case of an appreciating asset um what will happen is that when you essentially take that 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 lp out um you may get let's say only 300 of your token back, um, but you may get let's say 1,500 dollar amount back, right? And the reason that is um, that that's the case is because those 350 tokens are now worth 1,005, um, which was once. Five hundred tokens worth five hundred. So um, the reason you know you say you're under impermanent loss is because you would have had five hundred, but now it's three fifty. Um, so that's when mm-hmm. you have loss, but um, you're still in profit simply because the value of that three fifty is higher than when you put your money in. Does that sort of make sense? This sort of very high level.
5: Yeah, I don't know. That's okay. Uh, I'm I'm familiar with um, a number of concepts regarding uh, the process of how it works, um, so- but to further specify. Um, Let's say that there was no, I know this wouldn't happen, but ideally there is no price movement. Say I've got mm-hmm. um, an anchor token and UST and mm-hmm. anchor's price remains the same for six weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have 10 of those LP tokens. If yep. there's no price movement on either token, mm-hmm. did I make it or not?
2: You would in Anchor's case because Anchor is giving you a reward of anchor tokens as well for providing that um, liquidity. Okay,
5: so... Sorry, bad example. Then on the token, no, that's um, fine. A mirror okay. or something. A uh, sure. token that you know, with there's no intrinsic reward for um, anything beyond providing the liquidity. Um, if both tokens remain the same and there's no impermanent loss, and I put in five hundred dollars of each, uh, in six weeks, am I going to take out exactly one thousand, or will there be a, a growth? Like, I don't know if i in the value. Or in? In, Yeah, are 10 LP tokens going to be worth more by a certain percentage, like based on um, fees for transfers in that pool? Um, Or is 10 tokens always going to be worth the thousand that I put in, assuming in a bubble that neither token price moves?
2: Okay. So I think that like when it comes to providing liquidity, um, I think that it comes down to two things. One is, um, you know, how much am I going to make and uh, how valuable is the total going to be, right? So in terms of the the, the swap fees themselves or the liquidity, um, you know, swap fees themselves, yes, you will hmm. probably make some amount there. But most people are incentivized to provide liquidity because of some reward mechanism that that's put in place, right? So. Sure. Um, e- Um, Anchor's uh, example was actually perfect, to be honest, because everybody does that. Everybody incentivizes your liquidity providers. And the reason they do this is because they're renting liquidity. Um, And what this means is that I'm paying you for you to provide your liquidity to me. And I'm paying you um, in a certain reward style. Um, But the fact is that if you want to take that liquidity out at any given point in time, you can choose to do that. And um, from my view, that's bad simply because you can choose to take your liquidity out whenever you want. And that's when the piece of my liquidity pool down, which means I'm going to have most slippage. Now, um, in, in in our case, what we're doing is we're saying we're not going to rent the liquidity from you. Um, rather than pay you a reward to rent your liquidity for a certain period of time, we will buy your liquidity straight out by giving you few tokens at a discount. So right off the bat, um, let's say, wait for, um, you will take that home in, let's say, five days' time. So in five days' time, you're already 5 or 7% up on your investment rather than having to wait, let's say, six months' time to take that. Um, and and the, the the beauty about this is twofold, right? One, from the provider's standpoint, he doesn't have to lock I- up his yeah. funds for a long period of time. Um, he-
5: Sorry, um, I don't know if anybody else is experiencing this, but I am having a lot of trouble. You're, you're- um feed is coming in and out and i didn't really catch anything you said i'm sorry i didn't want to interrupt you i didn't want to be rude
2: not at all is this is this better for you though am i um clearer
5: let me um disconnect and rejoin
2: um Rebel, is it, um, me or is it um... no
1: this this I, th- I it did seem a bit weird for me but i thought that sometimes the it- when co-hosts and speakers can't always hear each other properly so I wasn't sure if it was just that but certainly whatever you're doing now with your mic sounds stronger signal and it's quite interesting just as we're having this DeFi conversation Sefi's just jumped back in (laughs) so um, yeah do you want to go with that explanation again Adrian about the protocol liquidity
2: and then we can take another question Absolutely. So, um, what I was saying, um, Richard, was that in most people's cases, um, or in most protocols' cases, what they do is, um, like I said, they rent the liquidity from your liquidity providers by incentivizing them with some sort of reward mechanism, right? Um, In our case, what we're doing is um, we're we're not renting our liquidity by by essentially owning our liquidity. We're buying the liquidity providers, um, and essentially works to the benefit of both uh, the protocol and the provider. Um, for the provider, he doesn't have to wait, um, you know, a long period of time to take, um, you know, profit. Um, and from the protocol standpoint, by owning our own liquidity, we can ensure that uh, at no given point in time, um, you know, can, let's say, a large group of people come in and, um, you know, take their liquidity out of them, um, reducing the size of the pool, let's say.
1: Just following on from that one then, Adrian, so we are not going to be providing fury u s t l p tokens other than sort of almost selling them to you for discounted fury tokens what is i mean is there a projected staking reward level for me staking my fury tokens into a team um are you saying is there a limit um like an upper limit for you to no, about? no, I'm just asking like if if I, okay, so I've got a thousand dollars i think right mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. i I can get cheap fury tokens with these, so i'm gonna provide I'll buy five hundred dollars worth of fury tokens five hundred dollars worth of ust and i'll pair that and then do this bonding thing Mm -hmm. and wait five days and then i end up with 1050 dollars worth of fury tokens Mm -hmm. and then i'm thinking right i want to earn some rewards on these so i then take them to a fan club is that right to to stake them with a
2: club yep and um what we're saying is that um, by staking it with the club um, what you're doing is you're essentially betting on the in-game volume um, but also the trading volume as well right so um, in-game volume is essentially what's going to give the um, give the token utility Um, so what you're going to do is by staking your tokens you're doing two things one you're taking away a certain amount of tokens from the circulating supply itself and locking them up Um, but two and more importantly um, what you're doing is you're taking part in a profit distribution system rather than a reward distribution system. And I think that the distinction that needs to be made here is that a reward distribution system, generally speaking, does not come from the circulating supply versus a profit distribution system will always come from the circulating supply. Um, so from a staker standpoint, um, what you're doing is you're essentially, um, you think of yourself as like the owner of
7: Fan,
2: or FanDuel or the owner of DraftKings, like the owner of a casino. Like, does the casino ever lose money? No, the house always wins because the house is always taking home that 2% profit right that 2% from the pool um so essentially what we what we're saying here is that by distributing that 2% of profits directly or rather 2% of the entry fees directly to our stakers this is like a never ending supply of profit as long as the platform is running so as long as you have contests you have a certain percentage that will go to your stakers and um as long as you have a certain percentage going to your stakers that is going to be essentially distributed from your circulating supply what you're doing is essentially distributing Pure profits and, and, and no reward um, um, that's going to come from outside that, um, outside that system, so to say.
1: Sure. I mean, so, so the way I'm thinking, it, it's kind of like any DeFi protocol, really. I mean, provided the platform is successful, a protocol's token should
2: well, I think- rise in, potentially <laughs> rise in value the main thing I think would come down to the fact that there isn't really a minting mechanism, right? Like, so most other platforms have um, a minting mechanism in place either to, um, you know, let's say have a continuous reward system or um, in the case of Luna, let's say to, um, you know, balance out um, a-, a peg. But I think in our case, because of the fact that like there really isn't any way to mint any more tokens, like you've got your 420 and then, um, you know, assume the the you know the price of fury is low um to start with um you're you're immediately going to have this large um, you know amount of fury tokens that are being burnt not just every day but on every single contest um so if i've got like 10 games happening in a day um and each game is going to have like different contests that's 100 contests burning fury at 100 different rates so what you what you're going to find here is that like it's the burn rate itself is very very closely tied to what the market price of the token is at that point in time so really speaking when we're when we're looking at what the burn rate is going to be it's going to be based on immediate value so like we're talking like what's the price of, of fury right now okay that's the price this is how much we need to burn um it's it's really speaking going to talk to the market um on a, on a, on a much more real-time basis to determine that burn mechanism um and i think that because there isn't a there isn't a like i said a a, you know a, a way for you to add more tokens to the system that's going to be um it's going to be interesting because like i said the um the volume that we're expecting is coming from an audience that just does not care about cryptocurrency, right? Um, as far as they're concerned, like they just want to play. So I think that when it comes to being able to say that we can bring in so many users every day spending so much, which is what traditional fantasy sports platforms do. We, they spend so much, bring in so much, and they can say this is our revenue. Um, being able to do that and say that we will always, let's say, be able to generate 9 million of revenue a day or 10 million of revenue a day because of the fact that we can bring in so many users. That itself is a tremendous, tremendous boost for the, uh, you know, for the token itself because like most other tokens don't have that utility They rely on, um, you know, market trading, um, you know, in order for them to, let's say, uh, you know, get their prices up or down. And that's very, very dependent on the crypto market and, you know, market sentiment Um, versus in our case, um, you know, there's no connection to the crypto market at all. Um, You know, you're essentially working with a market that has no idea that, um, you know, what's going on in the crypto market. They don't really care about it. Um, The only thing they care about is essentially, is there a game on um, and can I participate?
1: Sure, and that's Sefi just stepping up. I know Cefi is quite or what I take away when I listen to Sefi's spaces is that he seems to enjoy just sort of staking project tokens for yield over the long term. Yeah. And it's just gathering that yield. Are you does Fury sound attractive to you on that sort of frontier?
7: Uh hey guys. And yeah, hey Nimrod. Uh yeah, we, we chatted a little bit with Fan Fury um yeah previously, but uh yeah, so my understanding is there's like the burn mechanism of the token, which uh, brings back value. Hopefully you guys can hear me. Okay. Cause I'm kind of driving, but um, the, and then so, uh, additionally <laughs> <Kind of> driving, <laughs> is there also um, a mechanism um, where you have like a yield in UST or something like that? Or is it purely the burn mechanism that brings the, the sort of immediate value accrual? Like how many different, accrual mechanisms are at play at any given time.
2: So I think that um, what you're going to find is that like, because of the fact that the utility is going to come from the in-game use of the token itself, right? And it's not coming from... (laughs) excuse me sorry um well, what's going to happen is that um the value that you're going to see yes it's going to have some amount of effect uh sorry the burn mechanism is going to have some amount of effect on that simply because like it's 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 almost real time closely related to the price but i think more important to that is the utility that the token has in game um by essentially using the token as um you know your your um, your pay in and your payout um what we're doing is essentially um we, we're giving it buying and selling volume right so if we've got like let's say um 25 million dollars worth of um uh, revenue that needs to come into the platform that's essentially 25 million dollars worth of tokens that needs to be bought on a daily basis um so i think that from 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 that standpoint that's really speaking where we see a lot of the value coming from is the fact that like there is going to be tremendous 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 um you know in game volume that's going to drive this uh, more than it would for other protocols simply because of the fact that it is an in game um uh, you know token um and and the way that it's used in game game, I think, is also pretty relevant because um, you don't have to, like, let's say, pay, you know, 10 Fury, Um, you know, if Fury drops, then what do you do? Uh, I think that because of the fact we price our, um, you know, contests in the USD, um, but actually take the uh, payments in Fury, um, what this is going to do is, uh, I think, like, you have a circulating supply, you've got a diminishing circulating supply because of the burn, and then you've got a certain amount of daily in-game revenue uh, or certain volume that's coming from in-game. I think that... So...
7: I guess maybe uh, in a different way to look at it. So if I'm the player of the game and um, I'm playing a game, it's priced in UST, but I don't have to be as a game player really exposed to the price of the token. It's simply being used in the background as like a utility mechanism. But uh, in other words, you're not like a player where, OK, you have this token and it goes up and down in value and, you know, or the, the game becomes too expensive to play at some point because, yeah. like, I got to play a million dollars for a token that pretty much, that, pretty to, much. To, to play a sports game. So the idea is you're disconnecting the consumer from the need to, to be worried about the price volatility of the primary coin. Is that fair to exactly, say that? Exactly that. Yes. OK, good, good.
2: And I think that where it gets interesting is that, um, you know, where is the where, where are the rewards really coming from? Right. Because like in most cases, um, you've got rewards that are really speaking where your inflation comes from. It's it's from rewards that are paid out to your stakers or to liquidity providers or whatever, you know, if it's coming just from fees. Um, and I think that like because of the fact that we can take our rewards and distribute it from our circulating supply rather than adding to it, um, I think that's really, really where um, we see the value for the token coming from more than um, the burn mechanism. It's actually being able to distribute rewards that are non-inflationary um that's you know the key to this whole thing really speaking
7: so uh I, and i missed uh i, I kind of came late but um wh- did you guys cover the the token launch and when we're going to have access yet or is that still to be to be determined
2: um no we've actually launched up uh, so we've actually divided our token launch into two separate parts. Um, and really speaking, this is to sort of bring in both um, both communities. So how do you get, let's say, um, a traditional fantasy sports community to participate in a token launch, right? Um, and that's been the sort of goal for us. So um, the way that we've, de- we've designed our launch is to have a two-part launch. One is essentially with the auction of these things called fan clubs. Um, so what are these fan clubs? These fan clubs are essentially um, what are going to become the owners of the protocol itself. Um, so you have an owner of uh, the fan club itself and then you have these members that are asked to join um so what we want to do is um we're actually targeting a very very traditional fantasy sports audience and talking to them and saying look uh you have the opportunity to come in early and either own a fan club um unofficial arsenal fan club yours um you know all you got to do is make sure that you have the highest number of referrals um brought into the system let's say um and then as a member um you can come and join as a member of that unofficial fan club at any given point in time um you know, even after the auction ends. Um, so I think like the first part is really focused on a traditional fantasy sports audience being able to just come in and, and you know, put in a, a certain amount of money as, uh, you know, membership fee. Um, and the second part of it is going to be a Prism Ford style um, event that's going to start on the 23rd um, and go on till the 27th, 23rd, 27th, yes. Um, so I think that um, from a, from a, uh, launch standpoint, we want to be as um, fair as possible. So um, one of the reasons we've, we've gone with the Prism style launch, um, and I think also in terms of just bringing in as many people from the community as possible has been very important for us, because um, one is the, the fact that it's going to be used in game, but two and more importantly, like um, the entire protocol is going to depend on the community, right? I mean um, if we want a, commu- a a protocol that's owned by sports fans and, and and the sports community, we need to make it attractive enough for them, um, but also make it attractive enough for deaf users as well and I think that uh, that's been our focus
7: Um, very briefly uh, could you uh, maybe provide a little alpha in terms of okay so I show up at the site I opened it up and there are some clubs uh, that you can I guess subscribe to Um, like is there a strategy to picking those things and let's say for example I don't know the first thing about the uh, Kolkata Cricket Club or whatever. Yeah. Um, I- am I like taking on some sort of like, a- am I making some of a bet here on the various uh, clubs no. or is it like, is it equivalent no matter which one you join that you're gonna get sort of similar yeah. benefits as a like DeFi user? Or yeah, an so investor? I think
2: um, in the way that like you would wanna look at it is um, uh, for us, it's been really speaking tailored to a traditional audience right so um the way that we've you know uh, gamified our distribution of our um of our rewards for our stakers is that we've got a leaderboard system so um what we what we want to do is we want to put the onus of um you know the reward distribution on the owners of these fan clubs themselves so um as an owner say for example um you're incentivized to bring in as many people into your fan club because um the way that the gamification works is um uh, the leaderboard board is designed or rather the distribution is designed in a way where uh 20 percent of the uh, the profits that are being distributed um every eight hours um is basically distributed in a way where um uh, uh, the, the the top team um or rather the team that basically has the most number of people or, sorry, Fury tokens staked in it um is going to take 20% of the rewards right off the top um and as an owner you're taking 1% of the total rewards distributed so think of it as 1% of 100% goes to the owner of that top club 19% is distributed to the members of that top club and then 80% is basically distributed amongst everybody else that there's 249 other clubs so everybody else and the way that that distribution works is depending on like how many um um or rather how much Fury is being staked in a particular club. Uh, The rewards are basically based on on that, so it's not equal. It's not like you know I've got I've got ten people in my club, you've got two thousand, but both of us are taking home the same amount of rewards, right? That's not fair. So the idea here is that if you've got only ten people in your club, you're going to probably take home a lot less, uh, you know, rewards as an owner um, than let's say if you've got two thousand people staking in your club. So um, I think that in terms of like the reward distribution itself, um, people are more incentivized to bring in as many people as they can. And I think by tying it to these, um, you know, fan clubs, uh, what we've done is ensured that like um, concentration of, um, uh, you know, uh, Fury itself is, isn't in one particular club in general, because like I touched upon this earlier, you know, um, we expected that, um, you know, a lot of this concentration might happen. But we what we've noticed now, um, having looked at it, is that a lot of people are more focused on you know local clubs that they could support rather than um on a club that let's say is going to do really well because of the number of people it has in it um, and i think this is really going to talk to um one the amount of people that we can bring in and decentralize um, but two also because um, to the fact that we can make sure that you know concentration doesn't happen in very very few clubs
1: just just a quick question on the clubs then if
2: imagine i i was super
1: popular And a massive sports fan, and I was involved in some sort of genuine fan club. I could then tell everyone that I knew, right, come and sign up for this thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. really I speaking that's what we want to do rebel is uh we've been reaching out like to um you know sports content creators um guys that essentially rely on you know sports platforms and sports clubs um you know for their um for their for their livelihood you know for their um for, for their bread and butter their content their um you know their their podcasts and their um you know uh, their their um whatever they use let's say to to you know uh, run their lives and i think that from that standpoint, like what we're we're trying to make people understand is that rather than, you know, use a subscriber system that you're using right now where people have to come in and pay like $100 every month um, and subscribe to your service, um, you can very easily move away from that to like this permanent revenue model where um, it's passive revenue, it's ever increasing passive revenue. And the idea is that It's not just beneficial for you, it's beneficial for your supporters as well. Why? Because from your supporters standpoint, um, they don't have to pay a monthly subscription. They make a one-time subscription and essentially they continue to get rewards every month. You continue to get rewards every month. And the more people you get to sign up, um, the better your rewards are going to be, the better their rewards are going to be. So um, it's a win-win for for anyone that's looking to participate, especially the guys that have huge, um, you know, uh, content followings and that rely on these, um, you know, subscription plans in order for them to keep afloat.
1: Okay. So I've, so I've got, I'm a guy, I've got a big podcast about Tottenham Hotspur football club. Yep. Um, And I'm telling everyone, right, sign up for this fan fury thing. It's going to be brilliant fantasy sports. It's going to to be, you're going to get more rewards than whatever Uh you're using just now. Uh If, if someone then signs up using the youtuber's referral link, uh-huh. does it does it
2: cost them anything? It does. So it's like being a membership into the in, into the um, into the club, right? So um it's essentially a hundred dollars for let's say that content creator to come in and claim the club um, and it's fifty dollars right now. Um, for any member to come in and um, essentially pledge their support for that particular, um, you know, influencer, so to say. Um, And going back to my earlier point about, um, you know, if there are, let's say, two or three different influencers vying for one particular club, um, what happens when one of them wins? Um, Well, again, going back to that, essentially what happens is um, if you and me are participating and let's say I win, um, so I get I get to keep my supporters um, and, and all the funds that have come in. When I say funds, essentially it goes into buying um, tokens. But essentially what I mean is I get my supporters your supporters, as well as you. Um, so um, you're, you're putting in 100, your supporters are putting in 50 each, which means that all that money needs to be converted into Fury. All that Fury is staked in uh, uh, the, the club and I own that club. So um, the way it's going to work is that whatever amount you put in, um, whether you're claiming the club or whether you're uh, you know, a member of that club, um, ideally, whether you win or whether your um, you know, influencer wins or not, uh, you're going to get some part of um or are rather you're going to be staked in that club to let's say have some part of it okay but
1: and then thinking of it from the sort of DeFi aspect if if i'd gone for tottenham hotspur and you beat me to become the person who bought the club could i then go in a few months down the line and go ah oh, i'm gonna unstake and i'm gonna go over to the arsenal is that
2: yeah yeah you can do that absolutely i mean would you want to do that i
1: well, i mean obviously completely unethical but i mean <laughs> yeah. yeah right so you, yeah, you, you can, can unstake is my you
2: point yeah. there's a 7 day unstaking period cuz we want to make sure that like um, it's not it's not gamified uh, people can't come in and gamify but yes the, you can absolutely unstake it um and i think that, again going back to you know the tying it to these um, you know fan clubs themselves it comes down to the fact that it's a social thing right like i, I know i'm I, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of arsenal everybody around me knows that and um, all of a sudden i'm going to be like Barcelona fan club, like, no, there's no way I'm going to be able to put that in social media, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of um, personality um, that's going to be tied into these things as well.
1: Absolutely. Sorry for jumping in there, Safi. if you got anything else
7: you oh, want no, to come back with? Perfect. Uh, you no, know, I, was, I was reviewing this site a little bit to see kind of where things have come along. And you can actually go in there and see how much sort of like money is going into each uh, club at this point. Um, so, definitely some progress there. Um, so if Nimrod, if, if I'm not a like big sports fan, um, and I don't have a particular like fan club sort of following, then, uh, the primary way I'd probably want to, uh, acquire the token would be the lock drop then. Would that be correct? And when is that it, starting it, and taking place?
2: Yeah. I think that for our defy users, forge would probably be the way for them to like, if you if you don't have an affiliation, let's say, um, get involved. Um, And that's going to start on the 23rd of this month and go on till the 27th. So on the 27th, um, we're going to have token, um, sorry, the 28th, we're going to have token launch. And then by the 30th, I believe, or the 30th or the 1st. Um, But I would say definitely before the the 5th of May, uh, we will also have gameplay. And I can confidently say that um, we will be able to offer up to 1000 team pools um, on day one in at least one sport. We're looking at managing two as well um, football and cricket
1: I'm just going to drop some alpha right now just yeah looking at that bit that Sethi was talking about I'm looking at these clubs um, no one has got the LA Lakers have not raised any money so <laughs> if, you, if you've got if you've got one friend you could end up being the owner of the LA Lakers on Fan Fury
2: <laughs> and I'm going to be honest like I think that Um, to be honest, like in terms of like the conversion rates that we've seen right now, and in terms of the comments that we've been getting, um, I think that a lot of people aren't very, I mean, the concept is really, really new, I would say, um, you know, so we're getting Tremendous amounts of traffic coming in, but um, in terms of like the conversions, people are expecting to come and play fantasy sports. Um, But what they're finding is that um, they're they're being asked to, let's say, join a club. So the idea here is that although it's better than asking them to stake um, their tokens and explaining what staking is, um, obviously because of the concept being relatively new, um, I would say that uh, it's, it's going to require um, a, a little more from our part in terms of like the explanation side of things and what happens when certain things happen and I think that um, in a few days you are gonna see a few more videos that um, you know we're gonna release from the platform standpoint that's really going to talk to um, you know these very very specific questions that the community has had and um, you know also going to talk to the fantasy sports side of things um, you know or to our fantasy sports users in general um, to really explain to them why are you doing this um, you know when is gameplay gonna start um, how can you participate and why it's important for you to um, actually take part in this fan club experience. Exactly.
1: And uh, just so that maybe to get lunatics excited about trying to get hold of a club and own one, I can see that um, Tottenham Hotspur have raised quite a lot of money. They're in That's- second place behind Liverpool. I yeah, don't know I where Arsenal are. Oh, Arsenal way down there.
2: Yeah, um, talk about it just like their table. I mean, it's just like them in the table. Well, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but just... just so for, for the sort of monetary aspect of it, if, if I become a club owner, like what, what is that going to sort of mean to me financially?
2: Let's look at it um, from this point of view, right? Um, so in terms of like marketing, um, what we're looking at bringing in from, um, I would say like a user standpoint, is um, we're looking to add like a million wallet addresses within the first, I'd say, 25, 30 days. Um, this is like really, really fairish numbers, I'm going to put it that way. Um, So when you're looking at bringing in like a million or a million and a half users to um, an ecosystem that has an active wallet address count of about 500,000, we're looking at like large, large volumes. Um, So I think like in terms of just daily transaction volume from the platform itself we're looking at anywhere between 20 and 25 million in in dollar amount value on a daily basis okay. so um think about it from this point of view if you're looking at 25 million in volume 5% um so 2% of that goes directly to your stakers like that is what is going to your stakers in terms of dollar value. um. So if you're looking at the number of stakers in the system, all you'd need to do is, let's say, um, you know, divide that dollar amount between, let's say, the number of people who are staking. Um, and I think that'll give you a good idea of, uh, you know, the kind of revenue that you're looking at generating here. And, and I think it's also important to understand that, you know um the best way for users i would say to to make money here is to take part in both sides of this equation so um i would say the best way to f- for users to participate is to put a little bit into the staking side of things cuz well, you're an owner and you're taking home profit, um, but also to take part in the fantasy sports side of things. Because the fact is that, um, you know, on the fantasy sports side of things as well, um, the payouts are just mad when it comes to you know any of the other platforms out there. Like, um, you know, the difference between reward distribution is just, astronomical so um just look at it as um, you know value accrual so like you've got um, you know three and three you got six and six so the idea here is that by um, you know playing and staking um you have given yourself and everybody else in the ecosystem the best chance of making money for not just you but for the entire ecosystem as well awesome Anna. so
7: what you're saying Sorry. to me is just go by a little bit of every team in, on the list <laughs> just like that's right would, would that that's be what, an effective strategy
2: <laughs> that's what i've been telling my DeFi friends like because like the thing is that you know for most people in the DeFi space they're looking at this as like which staking pool is going to get me the best um sort of returns and and my answer to that is just if you've got a thousand dollars divide that out right like um but uh, and i think you're going to be able to do that once let's say um you the forge event ends and like staking clubs are, i'm sorry the fan clubs are like live as fan clubs um but i think that you know from a from a sports um from a sports fan standpoint i can't see a lot of people doing that and i'm going to be very honest like it's going to come down to like i said your just your social standing uh, people aren't this not willing to take that risk
1: and i'm just just looking at this am um, supporting so if I, if I was going to support you in your bid to become the arsenal owner or arsenal fan club owner it's it, you can donate as much as you want
2: it's what it you looks can- like you can um, and this is where we've been very particular that it doesn't matter how much you're raising what matters is how many people are contributing to your cause because um, like we've thought about it and think about it this way like um, you could have a user that comes and puts in 10th and claims the club um, what's he going to do for the club after that um, you know is he going to contribute is he going to be in, you know involved um, but if you have a user that's going to bring in let's say 100 people he's 100% involved simply because of the fact that he's brought in these 100 people and um, you know for, um, uh, in, in a certain aspect, um, you know, you're a community leader, right? You're um, essentially being able, you're, you're going to be able to communicate with this community. And eventually, what we're looking at is to convert these fan clubs into mini DAOs. Um, and eventually, when to do our own chain, um, what we're looking at is essentially converting them into validators, right? So essentially, we've got a completely decentralized system with 250 decentralized validators um, that can essentially almost immediately move into um, a mode where, um, you know, we're more decentralized than most other, you know, blockchain platforms out there. And we'll be able to do it, uh, at least with the solutions that we're looking at, at almost zero cost when it comes to transaction and gas fees. Um, But also when it comes to like scalability, be able to scale up to like a million transactions per second. Um, That's going to do huge, huge things for us. So
1: I don't know if Sefi is a basketball fan, but imagine he was a basketball fan, even... I mean, you're not starting with basketball. It's just going to be the football or soccer and cricket. Is it worth a basketball fan going in now to try and claim an NBA team?
2: Yeah, because it's not tied to gameplay, right? So the idea here is that like the fan clubs will make money irrespective of like whether my team is playing or not. So let's say if I've invested in uh, the the Heat, say for example, um, it doesn't matter if the Heat's playing or not. Like all that matters is that there are fantasy sports games happening. As long as there's a fantasy sports game happening and as long as people take part in contests, you're getting your rewards no matter what team you stake with.
1: So you're saying that for a lunatic with a large social media following, they could potentially <laughs> go and claim Absolutely. a sports club,
2: Absolutely. and 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 really speaking, be very very high up that list. Um, you know, because uh, like I said, uh, the rewards are all dependent on the numbers. It's not equal. So the way that we're looking at it is um you know uh, uh, an owner who's got 20 you know people in his club is not going to get the same rewards that someone who spent time um you know accumulating let's say 10,000 people in his club. Um you know it's going to be very very closely tied or it's going to be exactly tied to you know how many and how much fury you've got staked in your um your fan club.
1: Exactly. This is this is making me think that we should maybe ask Finn not to prioritize this space for putting out on spaces just so we can Kind of use this information that you're leaking to us here for our own uses. This is wonderful. I'm
2: going to tell you, like honestly, like we we know um, Kujira has uh, some influence that they've been exercising. We know that Ramford, their own team, doing some things there. So, um, yeah, people are sort of banding together. Let me put it that way. I can see Astral
1: Money are in there yeah. on Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> Kujira are going for Liverpool. Bit of a big one. Uh-huh.
3: So, yeah i I, got to come in here, guys, though. And i got to say, I do not like Orbital Command. Oh.
1: Well, why might that be, sir? I've got a good reason. Let's, let's, Let's entertain it.
3: I feel that as a validator, you should be neutral. As a validator, you're part of an ecosystem of people who may have invested in Terra a long time ago or there to help operate the network. I don't think that you should be in a position to uh, promote anyone's project, I think validators are there to focus entirely on the technology and scaling. And I am a firm believer that validators should separate themselves from the the growing ecosystem and act as validators, which is you know, essentially to reduce congestion in the network to scale a network. That is really the primary reason. And yet you seem to be confusing that with uh, the issue of projects right I think we should focus on if you're going to be a validator just focus on that instead
1: that, that seems a reasonable argument the, the one thing I disagree with really is coming on saying you don't like orbital command that's a, bit, a little bit of an ad hominem Wait, would, would you level this how and, I, uh, I just explain uh, my reasons okay yeah, I'm just coming back I, I mean I can drop you off at any time but if we're going to have a discussion we can have that discussion would, would you level these um, same criticisms at People like danku
3: Well, the largest validators in Terra are not him. They're, um, you know, SCB Bank in Thailand. They're a huge validator for Terra. They also were the early investors. Alpha Labs also a validator. I mean, there's many DAO validators. A lot, huge ones. Okay, so are you criticizing them as well, or you have? No, they they stay pretty neutral. They support Terra with like regards to fellowships to new programs. But really, as a validator, you're at a certain like strategic level where you're not really, you know, one of the reasons why Doquan, did he recently see the AMA between Doquan and Imin, the guy who created Avalanche? Doh Kwon asked a lot of questions like, what projects do you see? So forth. What projects do you see building Avalanche from Terra? How that can help? What projects? Doquan never, ever, ever mentioned a project because he doesn't want to pump anything. Right? He doesn't want to be biased towards something. When he's at that position with another person, who is a technology person, charge of another chain, and that's essentially what a validator needs to do. They are there to support that core team, scale the project. They're going to be neutral because at times maybe there's validator congestion, correct? Maybe there's like an issue where a, there was a mistaken soft fork in the network, and the validators need to group together and work through the problem. That is a really non-project chill non i don't know what the words are yet i i think like we haven't even come up with those words but validators are in a certain kind of position where the project the sorry the network is entirely dependent on them right that's an, and it's so different from really talking about the projects being built and for validators then to promote projects it's like goes against the ethos of decentralization in my opinion Okay. Well, I loved how you ended that in, in your opinion.
1: I mean, if, I mean, I think we can maybe have a space devoted to this discussion. That would, that would be reasonable. Of so, course, it's my opinion. Do you want to me to have your opinion? I'd rather have my oh, opinion.
3: Not. Oh,
1: 100%. That's, that's my whole point. That this is I your think- opinion
2: coming here as well. Um, I think that like um, and I'd like to maybe talk to all three of them. One being that, um, you know, other validators don't get involved in the ecosystem and that's completely untrue. Um, having fellowships itself is throwing your weight behind, um, you know, a platform. So that's untrue. Um, also in terms of like Dokon himself, um, I can, at least three occasions when Dokkan very, very specifically called out projects very recently, Prism, um, and three in terms of, like, just, um, you know, the network itself. I think that one of the biggest um, uh, responsibilities that validators have, like you very closely mentioned, obviously, is, um, you know, supporting the network and making sure the network is, um, you know, stable. Um, but I think they also have a responsibility to um, educate and to provide, um, you know, information for the community itself as, you um, you know as as people who have a huge opportunity to get involved at a very very early level in projects and to really understand the project itself so my opinion there cool we've got sean up. sean if you got a question or comment
1: sean you're muted if you're trying to speak or sefi did you want to come in with anything on the DeFi side of things
7: not specifically <laughs> just to that um, gentleman's interesting point um By the way, there's like nothing specific about being a validator or otherwise that suddenly takes away people's freedom to say whatever the hell they want. Quite frankly, people can vote for whatever the validator they want. And the reality is if you know, people find that a validator or anybody else's content is valuable in some fashion. They can decide if that's value accretive to the actual system, in which case they can stake with a validator or they can't, or they don't have to. That's the beauty of it. But the idea that somehow... You're going to be able to sort of like create a standard code whereby, you know, all the validators have to behave identically. It's just not going to happen. Um, And actually, the voting um, of many, many validators um, has been sort of pathetic in terms of participation and such. Um, You know, so I don't I'm not saying this to defend one validator or the other. But like, how would you know, for example, if I owned a validator, you wouldn't. So, you know, you you could have validators be fairly transparent as far as, like, who they're representing, what any kind of, like, conflict of interest might be. And, uh, you know, if, if Orbital Command or anybody else decides to own a portion of, you know, some project that they're discussing, they should probably disclose that. But at the end of the day, like, this is DeFi, guys. Like, the reality is, is, like, anyone can do whatever the heck they want. It's as simple as that. And, um, you know, I don't know that that's going to change anytime soon.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I would also like um, that and say that, like, I I think like putting any sort of, um, you know, commitments or or rules and restrictions, um, I think in itself is, you know, against the very nature of decentralization. Right. So, I mean, um, opinions.
1: We've all got them. Um, OK, Adrian, is there anything you would like to close this space off with? It's been really informative as far as yeah. i've been concerned i'm quite interested in trying to um, either claim a club or just get involved in the club
2: yeah just probably one last um, you know point i'd like to maybe point out with, this, with regards to like our long term you know plans um both re- with regards to like the defy side of things one um specifically with our treasury and what we're doing with um, the funds that we're raising um is our treasury is essentially going to be used um in in three different ways um one is um 40% of what we raise um and what goes into our treasury through um you know the um LP rewards as well as through the bonding mechanism um, is going to be held in U- AUSD. Um, so essentially distributing yield on a yearly basis to the team um, so the team's able to um, continue into the long term um, without. Uh, actively taking part in the profit distribution mechanism. Um, the other uh, asset that we're going to hold is um, we're minting our own um, CW20 gold tokens. Um, so, what we're doing is um, buying physical gold um, with 40% of what comes in and uh, tokenizing them on. Um, So you're going to have 40% in AUSD, which is yield bearing, 40% in gold, which is um, asset backing. Um, And then you're going to have um, 10%, um, eventually uh, 10% being held in um, climate tokens, um, which are essentially like carbon sequestered tokens um, to make, let's say the protocol as um, carbon neutral as possible. And then the last portion is going to be held in some form of Luna. We're thinking why Luna um, is what we're going to go with. in some form or way. Um, so I think like in terms of the long-term value of the treasury itself, um, we're using it in a couple of different ways. One is obviously to ensure that uh, we have an yield coming in from the treasury that can be used for the team. Um, but more importantly, um, that we're also using it to make sure that the token itself has a certain intrinsic value um, that's going to come from both the carbon credits as well as from um, the goal that's being held um, with the protocol itself.
1: Excellent. I, I can see you've got a few hands up. Are you okay for another couple of questions? Oh, I have all the time. Okay, let's go for <laughs> Teague then. Let's go take Teague first.
4: Hi again, guys. Um, for one, uh actually support other protocols, um, putting their backing behind FanFury. I think it's really good for them, especially like Kojira. They are definitely one of the ones that's you know want to grow the Terra uh, ecosystem and you know supporting other protocols on the ecosystem is the way to do it. Um, but surrounding the ownership of the, the, the clubs, is there any stipulations kind of around the retention of it? I know you've said that the, once the club is claimed, that you know that is for, uh, for lifetime. But is there any sort of rules into keeping that claim? Because if you have a guy, uh, somebody that's claimed a club and they're not really doing much for it, they've only got two supporters, they managed to get in early, and now they own the club for life, but yet, you could have somebody come in a month down the line that could bring in, you know, a thousand supporters.
2: Yep. Um, will there be any changes to that further down the line? There will be. And very quickly, um, I think that, like um, I touched upon this earlier as well, There, there is going to be some sort of an NFT based um, ownership that's going to come in at some point. Um, right now, what we're discussing is whether that should be fractionalized or not. Um, but I think that there will definitely be some form of, um, you know, NFT based ownership that that um, you know, the owners can transfer or sell at some point. But could they be voted out? Awesome. They could. Um, so the the only way that um, you, the voting would work is if, uh, for example, the owner leaves, um, just essentially unstakes all his um, fury. Um, at that point, what would happen is um, the club itself would go back. Um, the ownership would go back to the um, to the protocol, um, and the, um, the the remaining members in that club would be uh, allowed to vote on, um, you know, who gets ownership.
4: Okay, so that's a blanket rule. Once I own the club, I own the club for life. That's it, no matter how many
2: supporters I've got after that. I mean, it all depends on on you after that. I mean, do you want to sell it? You could. Uh, Do you want to keep it? You could. Um, If you just want to leave, um, eventually whoever's remaining there is going to take a vote on who the new owner is.
4: Okay, cool.
7: Thank you very much for your time, everybody.
2: Thank you for for being here.
7: Thanks, Deke. And we've got Richard with his hand up. Thank you. Um, I'll be brief. I know
5: everybody uh, has been here a while and I wanted to just say thank you for uh, answering my questions and um, uh, trying to explain a few things to me. Um, uh, Nimrod, I love this project. I've got to do some uh, research. Uh, Unfortunately, I've been air quote working uh, at the same time, so my focus has been a little bit divided. I wasn't able to fully, you know, dive in there. Um, But uh, Fury.fan, is that the source
2: uh, for everything I need? that is and uh, it's going to be the same place where you're going to be able to come and play um the games as well um the gameplay will be available on the same platform as well um starting i believe anywhere between the 30th of this month and the fifth of May. fantastic and uh one thing for rebel DeFi, i uh, just want to throw my name in the hat
5: for interest in uh, seeing your perspective um on youtube uh, regarding this project love to watch a video on that if that's something you're thinking of doing
1: Awesome. Well, seeing as you're requesting it, yeah, I can certainly have a look at that.
5: Um, Fantastic.
1: I mean, that that
2: awesome? would be awesome. Thanks, Richard. That would be. Really yeah. Thank awesome. you, guys. Um, just throwing this out there, Rebel. Um, in case you need, you know, any information from me, I'm available like 30 hours a day. So um, just reach out to me whenever you want.
1: Yep, you certainly do come across as a machine, Adrian. Um, well, yeah, thank you very much for coming and telling us about the project. It's been, even, I mean, it's been a very short two hours, 40 minutes. I suppose that's a short space when Safi's concerned, but for me, that's probably one of the, the longest ones I've ever done. Um, and yeah, thanks, Finn, for recording for us, and we look forward to this um, team buying opportunity that we've got at the moment.
2: Absolutely, and I just want to you know uh, reach out to you as well and uh, the orbital command team in general for um, volunteering really to you know host this entire session for us. Um, it, it it it's it's. It's been a, a brilliant experience for us. Um, we're very, very uh, grateful for you to, um, you know, first of all, uh, just offer the, um, you know, the the to, to host it right off the bat. I mean, I just sort of dropped it in your DMs and you were just ready to go. So um, yeah, I just want to say thank you for that. And then again, just thank you to everyone um, who made it here today, um, Sefi and um, Sean. You know, just, just generally speaking, um, people who have uh, wanted to know about the project, who've taken the time, because I know, like you said, it's been a long um, three hours. So thank you for staying on for this entire time. And um, please reach out to anyone in the team through our Discords, through our Telegrams, um, personal DMs, no worries. Um, Just reach out to us in case you've got any questions, any queries that you'd like to maybe drop in. Um, If you've got suggestions for the team, we're open. um, Because like I said, we've been really, really open to community feedback as well. We've we've tried to implement it as far as possible. So um, get in touch with us uh, pretty much anything and we will definitely help you guys out
0: thanks for checking out another episode of the ether that was the fan fury update and ama hosted by orbital command recorded on tuesday april 19th 2022 this episode of the ether was brought to you by talus talus protocol is the nft platform for independent artists on terra Talus helps to provide artists with the tools and resources needed to transition from traditional art into the NFT world. With their V1 launch coming soon, Talus will be the place to see real world art reflected on Terra. Be sure to join their Telegram and follow Talus on Twitter for updates on their roadmap, validator, and other Talus news. Find your next favorite artist on talus.art. This episode of the Ether was also brought to you by Orbital Command, a community validator on Terra dedicated to educating, expanding, and promoting the Lunatic community. Have you heard about the new Terra Invest Strategy Discord server Orbital Command spun up? If you're looking for a chill place to chat about different Luna stacking strategies or looking for some alpha, or if you're trying to find the best UST farms, or even if you just have a quick question you need answered, be sure to stop by TIS and say hi to the Orbital Command gang. Hell, I'm even in there sometimes when I'm not editing hours of C5 Spaces. You can find me in that server chatting about NFTs and answering basic Terra Luna questions. The link to the server is in the show notes, and for more information, check out orbitalcommand.io. Terra Spaces appreciates the support from all our sponsors. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening down the street in my sixth foe I never had a six foe, a kid can wish though, I snapped a wishbone and grabbed a fistful, chilling with the dope this a weed is all I wish for I'm feeling blissful, I gotta miss is my ginger always down to ride no matter what the mission, I'm singing this song got a couple albums out, would do alright but it ain't really shit to write home about like to feed the fishbowl, keep my stories mystical I like my beats, boom bap and rap to be lyrical, I'm feeling cynical craving a little ritual, save my place in line while I try to find a miracle I keep looking and looking and looking But never find nothing we've been lied to Thinking this surprise of the super secret lies Motherfucker sneak inside Going dark now Believe me when I say this shit is do or die Going dark now Believe me when I say this shit is do or die Going dark now Believe me when I say this shit is do or die Sick get sicker and the rich get richer It might be about time to rearrange our dinner Fix the system, the shit, it's all next Waking up early, gonna suck to, hey, I'm gonna suck to right. dick. That's what Going dark now, believe me, when I say this shit is do or die right. That's Going dark now, believe me, when I say this shit is do or die